Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money-saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Nasty on a Thursday. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN with Jamie Rivers, Anthony Stalter, Marsh here as well. And we ended it last. What do you mean, Marsh here as well? Yeah, Marsh. Marsh is here. I don't like the way you said that, Andrew. Do you like that? It's Thursday, Anthony. Thank you, Marshy. As well. Why'd you be like Jamie Rivers, Anthony Stalter, Andrew Marsh? Not Andrew Marsh here. All right, wow. let's do it again. Andrew Marsh. Start Andrew over. Marsh. Let's do it again. You want to start hey, over? Marshy, start it right over. Because if we start on the wrong foot like this, I don't like it. Okay. All right, ready? You want to start over? No, the whole it. thing, okay. Andrew. And they can get right this time. It's Thursday. Let's get nasty on a Thursday. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN with Andrew Marsh and Anthony Stalter. Jamie Rivers also here. And, and let's I, talk I a little. Him. What? What happened? I did it right. Like Andrew Rivers Marsh. Also. And Andrew Marsh. You said it to do it that way. Well, I don't know if you're coachable. Well, okay. Either way, Anthony, let's get nasty. Would you invest more in the Cardinals? <laughs> We're not doing it again. Would you invest more in the Cardinals if they decided to spend more? Okay, let's do it again. Why not? <laughs> let's get nasty on a Thursday. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN with Jamie Rivers and Andrew Marsh and Anthony Stoltz. Appreciate everybody joining us. 203, your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. <laughs> An officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's going to be that kind of day, yeah, baby. Yeah, it is. We ended last night's show with a pretty intriguing question from a listener who left us a mic drop. Admittedly, we, we, don't, we don't know all of the details because not every Major League Baseball team, in fact, most don't, uh, they don't share their their how they gain their revenue. What? Okay. They, what do you mean? They don't open the books? They Anthony? don't open the books, Jamie. Why would they not? Well, you're a business owner. I think you, there's several reasons. I open for my that. books. I have to. Of course, the you government do. forces me to. Sure. And I'm sure they also open the books to their government. Yeah. Maybe not to Cardinals fans though, or Yankees fans, or whatever market you're in. Yep. But Jamie, just just the the idea, right? The the general concept, if Car- if the Cardinals raised ticket prices by $15 was the example, raised ticket prices by $15, would you buy more tickets or, or, you know, would you spend that money if you knew that the Cardinals would be more active in free agency? If you had a guarantee that your $15 price increase would directly go to the pool of signing players yes okay because i think we have to do that because yesterday some of our text line also was like well they'll just pocket it yeah no that we're not playing the loophole no this is this so if it was roughly 45 million like yesterday which i'll trust him because his math is guaranteed it's better than mine yeah same let's say it's 40 to 45 million Mm -hmm. margin for error okay anthony 
that is a couple of really good players. Because you're not, go- I mean, unless you're going to get Otani. Or two great ones. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Sure. Uh, 45 million. You know, you got to figure 20 million per player mm-hmm. on a, a difference maker. I. I think Cardinal Nation would buy into that. We did have a few texts yesterday that said, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. This team, they literally regurgitated. Not regurgitated. They they backed. They echoed. The, they, they echoed the model right now. We're good. We yep. get in the playoffs. We're a competitive team. I'm fine. I don't need to pay an extra 15 bucks per ticket mm-hmm. every time I go. I would pay it, but now I don't. I shouldn't say I don't go. I do go to quite a few games, and I actually really enjoy it. Um, very much so. But, you know, I don't know if I buy, I don't, I, I go enough to be like, oh, it's going to hurt my wallet that much to be at four games. Yeah. You know, I if mean, you're a season ticket holder, but that, different. It, it is correct. Um, but I, I, I believe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm crazy, all of it's possible, that I think Cardinal Nation would buy into that, literally. I think so too. As, as the conversation expands, though, this is where we get into the reality that, even if you were willing per person to spend a little bit more on ticket pricing, if it if it guaranteed that the Cardinals would spend more in free agency, notice that we didn't say it's guaranteed to work. It's guaranteed to improve your roster. There are plenty of free agent deals that go go south. This Yeah, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee you're gonna oh, win. For forty five million, you're guaranteed you get Otani. I you would I think you're okay then. Here's the other. Here's the other aspect, though, Jamie. I'm glad you brought up him. Does he want to come here? Does he want to come here? I know. What do you but, mean, Anthony? But this is all part of it. If we're going to have the conversation about your th- this organization doesn't realize they have to spend more, or they have to buy more, you have to. You're cheap. You're this. You're that. Right? Like we're making all these blanket statements. We also then have to have the conversation about whether or not free agents would sign here whether or not they would stay healthy, whether or not that that model of spending mm. would work. And we're only, and I'm using only in air, air quotations, only talking about an additional 40 to $45 million. You're still not going to be where some of the top spenders are. No, but so that's a huge that reality difference. Too. It's a huge difference it for is. this Cardinals plan. It, it certainly is. If you added right now Carlos Rodon and um, give me another bat, $20 million bat, Carlos I'll Correa. just throw Nimmo in there. Okay, Nimmo or Correa. What about one of those guys? Like, well, if it's Correa, yes. Right. Or Dansby Swanson or whatever you paid for him, 15, 18 million. I don't even care. Your point it, is you're getting better. You are substantially. Yeah. You add those two guys to your lineup, you're substantially better immediately. And, and I understand there's always the possibility of having a down year. I get it. But I believe the over the course of that contract – you're going to be just fine. You're going to be more than fine. Your team's going to be pretty darn solid. Yeah. So I, I like the idea of it. Unfortunately, it is fantasy land. It's make-believe world. That'll never happen. I mean, you pro- they'll probably jack up the ticket price, but you may not get that player that you want. Yeah. So I, I don't know. We got a lot of mixed reviews on the um, on the concept. Some of course, One texture maybe tuned in a little bit late. Just said it's not guaranteed that DeWitt doesn't pocket the difference yeah we're, we're guaranteeing that just just for the sake of yeah. the game we're guaranteeing again you like jamie said nope if you if you just tuned in you didn't hear that part we're guaranteeing that that money will be put back on the field yeah and uh you know there's some people that it's not the uh it's not the the ticket money so from the 636 i don't think the extra 15 bucks on tickets would defer many people 
it's the $15 beers being 20 and the $10 hot dogs being 15 that fans would hate. Well, we're not saying that would happen. We're literally talking about nothing. And I'm not mad at the text at all. I appreciate the text. Uh, we're literally talking about like the world stands still. Everything is the same, except you're paying $15 per ticket. And that money goes into an escrow account. Let's say, let's, let's really play pretend. And then that escrow account, whatever is in there is used to sign players. And Mr. DeWitt, Bill DeWitt has to spend up to not, not the whole amount, but the most, the least he can spend is got to be like $3 million left in the kitty. So he has to use sure. up everything up to the kitty just in case there's an injury somewhere or something. It also might, might be on retaining players because this is something that the front office also has to think about. No, so. but Okay, but no, stop right there. This has nothing to do with retaining players. Okay. Let's this get- is a $45 million surplus on top of what your actual payroll after arbitration is. But if and when Jordan Walker pans out, Jamie, and uh-huh. you're eventually going to pay him, yeah. that money has to go. There, It doesn't necessarily have to go to free agents. Yes, it does. I make the rules. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Marcy, what do you, you think? How can you argue with that? Uh, honestly, <laughs> I, we're just flying by the seat of our pants anyway. We are, you're right. Jordan Walker is supposed to be the the guy that everyone says he is. I would like to take that money and spend it on him. Yeah, make you sure that of, you keep him and lock him up for a long time. But you got a lot of runway before then, right? So maybe you... Yeah, yeah and I feel like the, you he's, know... He's just one example. I'm just saying... For sure. It, it To me, it's not just, this is earmarked for free agents. This is earmarked for your roster. Okay. Because that, at the end of the day... I don't like your game. You okay, want a guy like that. You want to have that homegrown. You want to pay you somebody like that. You want to have the guy that everyone else is making up hypotheticals about exactly. that they want. Right. And we do that a lot here, yeah, brother James. Mm-hmm. All right. That's kind of fun hypothetical game. I didn't. I didn't expect I don't that know we'd if get it was a lot fun. Of... I kind of feel depressed. Do you? Why? Because you know it's not going to happen. Yeah, because I got really excited there, thinking that we had an extra forty to forty-five million dollars. Yeah, no, we don't. And then I got really excited at the prospects of adding a top end uh, of the rotation pitcher, Mm-mm. and I got really excited about adding another bat in the lineup. And then I just clicked on the Cardinals' current roster. And neither of those guys is there. Yeah. And so I'm kind of depressed. There you go. It's ironic because we actually did this kind of exercise after Mo said the payroll was going up. We gave ourselves about $50 million to spend. That's right. Yeah, we, we did, did that did. exercise. I got and, Otani. Uh, I think we, I got Judge. We didn't get any of those people. <laughs> we, <had all> the <laughs> team. We, we did our part. Yeah. Where were you, Mo? All right, it's so the fast on 101 at ESPN. How Wait, can the Blues accountable, Anthony? I Thank like you. Yeah. How can the Blues find more success five on five? We broke down the power play yesterday. Before you get in the power play, how do you how do you get better even strength? That's next on 101 ESPN. That's one thing. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Levo retrieves it for the Blues between the benches. And Rosen catches it near wing and skates it in. On his back in center, they score! Jake Neighbors was right in front. The puck might have hit a defenseman, but on the sliding feed from Rosen, Neighbors gets a piece of it. Five hole on Talbot. 
One nothing Blues. Chris Kerber on the call last night. He'll be or, uh, two nights ago. He'll be on the call tonight. Blues Predators pregame yeah, right here on 101 ESPN starting at six six o'clock. Jamie Rivers is uh, gonna head downtown do a little Bally Sportsman West in between the benches tonight, yeah, baby, for are. a Nashville Predators game. I have to control myself a little bit. You think you'll get in the game? I don't think I will. I don't think they'll want me to get in the game. I'll ask Chief. Yeah, I'm well, sure. You never know. Chief might say, oh, "Why not?" Yeah, he's earned it. Look at him. <laughs> he's earned it. <laughs> uh, Jamie. Yeah. You broke down the power play yesterday very well. How they can, thank you. How they how they've gotten off kilter a little bit. How mm-hmm. they can get back on track. The key though is getting getting more productive. At even strength. So how do the Blues find more success five on five? What's like the top three things? Well, you got to create scoring opportunities. How do we do that? First and foremost. So, well, let's, let's, before we dive into that, let's get back to Jake Neighbors real quick. Because Jake Neighbors, um, after playing a couple of good games and Craig Bruby praising him for how well he's played, he's been elevated in the lineup. So tonight, Jake Neighbors will be playing on a line with Braden Shannon and Pavel Buchnevich. So obviously, Chief's trying to spark something, five-on-five. Five. Brandon Saad is going to be with uh, Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. Third and fourth lines, we can get into that a little bit later. But this, to me, is the most important thing right now because Jake Neighbors has had some success in the last two three games and playing very well. So how do you generate more scoring opportunities you know what? Before I get into it, Craig Berube was on these very airwaves yesterday. And we asked him the exact same question. Basically, hey, look, you're last in the NHL five-on-five five at shot attempts. How do you create more offense with this group? And here's what Chief had to say. Well, I think we've got to have more ozone time, first of all. Uh, that's not high enough. And second of all, like last game, 20 block shots. I don't know. I think there was like 12 missed net shots. That's a lot of shots that didn't get to the net. So we got to do a better job of finding lanes, but also just more of a shooter's mentality in the offensive zone. We work on it. We're working on it every day, but we definitely got to be better at possessing the puck in the offensive zone more because we're two water done and we're out. So that's puck recoveries. And then that's just competing on that puck in the offensive zone. Yeah, he's right. So let, let's break it down from in sequence, like Craig Ruby just brought up yeah, uh, yesterday on, on the show, was more ozone time. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you look at the St. Louis Blues last year, I think they were top three in the NHL in generating slot shots. The amount that they generated, and I think they were number one or number two in goals in that area. But look at the way the model last year. When you're scoring opportunities like that it's not really off the rush okay like we t- we talked about yesterday Connor McDavid is by far the best offensive player off the rush in the NHL he's got 19 goals off the rush 19 goals that's sounds like a lot for one individual it is for an individual but for a team you don't you don't have Connor McDavid first of all and you're not generating a whole heck of a lot with the guys that you've got off of the rush so you got to get the puck into the zone. Well, that means don't turn it over at the blue line. That means don't make a bad decision at the blue line. That means don't stop up two feet inside the blue line and try to make some kind of a cross-ice pass. No, it means if you get it off the rush, great. Otherwise, get it in, 
get to work, work the corners, support each other, be available. So for me, I look at it and when you talk about blocking shots too, we, oh, they had like 20 block shots. Okay, great. Great. They, they are sacrificing of themselves, but shame on you for not changing the shot lane. And I can tell you from my own personal experiences, you can do that. Like you don't have to get so locked in that you shoot the puck. You watch some of the, the best shooters in the NHL. Let's just go back to David Perron. Okay. Something that's very familiar with blues fans. How many times we see him get a great shot on net when he, at the last second, pulled it in, toe dragged it in, just a little bit, and a little shot off the yeah. toe drag. What did he do there? He changed the shot lane. Changed the shot lane. Six, eight inches, ten inches, whatever it is, he changed the shot lane. And he got it through to the net. That created an opportunity. Doesn't mean he scored a goal, but he got it through to the net rather than having it blocked or deflected. And so that, to me, is important. And with the guys like Thomas and Cairo and so many talented players, they're, they're totally able to change the shot lane right before they shoot the puck. Didn't, didn't Barvashev do that on his one of his recent goals? Yeah, he scored a great goal coming down the off wing, and he pulled it in like he was going to shoot it, and then just kind of pushed it, opened up the face of the blade, pushed it to the middle, and then shot again. So what he did there is he changed the shot lane on the defender and also for the goalie. Right. And the goalie didn't adjust, and he scored a goal. Again, it's not going to happen every time. Totally understand that. I don't think Blues fans, Blues fans expect that to happen every time. But it gets to the net, and that's a successful attempt on net. And when if you look even more, quick passes. So not always lugging the puck like David Perron used to do. One, not a lot of people can do that. And David Perron is exceptional at puck protection and retaining puck possession, period. Quick passes. Doesn't have to be the home run pass. Quick little cycle off the boards. Next guy grabs a puck. Pass to the point. Pass to the bumper guy in the middle. Back out to the wall. Quick little cycle again. Being in motion, constant motion, much like on the power play, creates chaos and coverage for the opposition. So, you know, imagine playing basketball. Let's use basketball. And guys are running all over the place, you know, cutting in between each other. And, and you watch the guys trying to cover. They can't. And all of a sudden, somebody runs into a pick. Same in hockey can be said. You get all sorts of opportunities off of that. And then when you get the puck anywhere, for me, like a lot of times people try to get the puck inside the dots for a shot, for that, that grade A scoring opportunity. For me, I, I consider anything near the hash marks, even the outside hash marks, you're about three, four feet off the boards there. Right now, if you're the Blues, you come down, generate something off the wall. But what you, the biggest thing that's essential when you're doing that, you have to have net front presence for a very various reasons. One, deflection, screen, whatever it is, rebound goal. Two, puck retrieval. So if you got a guy there that's able to retrieve the loose change, so that gives you the opportunity now to shoot from a more challenging angle is you have somebody there ready to get the puck. When you shoot from a challenging angle and there's nobody in front, it's yeah. a turnover right. for the most part, unless you've got an absolute bomb and you know you score on the goal uh, on the shot, great. Even then, I mean, the goalie's going to get a clear shot on it. Goalie, a clear, most a clear of the time. look at it. Yes. Uh, so that's why the net front presence is so important. It's one to create all that chaos and the possibility of a rebound goal, but also for puck retrieval. So if it hits the goalie and goes into the corner – You've got a guy that's right there on top of it. Now he keeps possession of the puck. Then your guy who is in the high slot, he goes to the front of the net. Your guy that's on the wall, he rotates high to the high slot, and you got this little triangle, and that's how you start the cycle. It's like the recycle yeah. emblem. Mm -hmm. You know, it's literally like that.
and now you grind teams down, you wear them down, so that near the end of the second period, when the changes are long and you can't get to the bench, you start to capitalize off of the offensive zone time of possession. So for me, that's the biggest thing right now, and Craig Berube talked about it yesterday too. He's like the one-and-done factor. You know, get across the blue line, one pass, shot from wherever, no rebound, no puck battle, no puck retrieval, other team gets it, now you're playing defense. Mm. So for me, the biggest change for the Blues is one being the willingness to shoot more pucks, but also the willingness to get bodies to the front of the net. Jake Neighbors goes to the front of the net last game. Nothing pretty about that goal. Callie Rosen comes down the wall, throws it out front, Jake Neighbors deflects it into the net. Strong bottom hand, wouldn't be denied, it's in. You can score a lot more goals like that. Even if Jake Neighbors doesn't score that goal and there's a rebound lying there, now you've created offense and you've got the other team defending. They're not able to take the puck and get into transition. They're defending first, then they'll try to go into transition, which means, guess what? You're on the offense first. That's why pucks to the net and bodies to the net are so important. That's Jamie Rivers. I'm Anthony Stalter. Don't forget, Blues, Predators tonight. Pre-game starting at 6 o'clock, immediately following the fast lane. Aaron Rodgers came out and made those comments about, uh, you know, whether or not he could still win an MVP. Yes, and kind of broke it down. But will the Packers be willing to, you know, basically listen to him? And will it be kind of a partnership and all that? Well, Rob Gronkowski came out yesterday and pointed out one of the – one of the biggest, maybe oh glaring weaknesses of Aaron Rodgers' statements on the Pat McAfee show. We'll tell you what those were next on 101 ESPN. A hundred different hands on my body. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Do I still think I can play? Of course. of course. Can I play at a high level? Yeah. The highest. I think I can win MVP again in the right situation. I'm totally fine with everything he said except one major part, and that's the MVP again. I think I could win another Super Bowl. That would have been totally fine. Like, bro, like, why are you thinking MVP? Like, don't you want Super Bowls? Like, Super Bowls are, I think, five times greater than an MVP award. First voice you heard was Aaron Rodgers. Second voice you heard was the one and only Rob Gronkowski. Aaron Rodgers appeared on the Pat McAfee show, and then Rob Gronkowski responded to what Rodgers said on Kay Adams' podcast. Up and Adams. Up and Adams. Uh, Gronk is absolutely right. He's absolutely right to point that out. And when you're listening to Rodgers, we already know he's arrogant, so it's not surprising to hear him talk about (laughs) Can I win an MVP? Yeah. I can do it any year I want to, actually. Right situational. But everything everything has been about Aaron Rodgers. Yep. It always has been. It really has been. If you look back over the last two seasons, specifically offseason, it's been all about Aaron Rodgers. Who is he with? Where is he? What's he doing? Who's his new girlfriend? Who's his buddies? Is he not at, you know, the optional training camp and all that? It's been all about Aaron Rodgers. I think it's been all about him since Mike McCarthy was fired. Well, it has been for sure because he allegedly is part of the reason Mike McCarthy is no right. longer the Packer. Part of it. And I don't blame the Packers for saying, we're going to stick with Aaron Rodgers, Mike. Uh, see you later. But now that, you know, it's, it's that old saying, 
money doesn't make you. Money just makes you more of what you already were. Mm. Aaron Rodgers was probably always like this. Mm. Mike McCarthy out the door. He's getting probably more say within the building. And then we're starting to see more and more of his personality. If he wants to be that way, that's fine. He's a human being. You do whatever he wants. But when it comes to showing a little bit more humility, I've brought this up before. Mike McCarthy was the one that changed Aaron Rodgers' mechanics. Aaron Rodgers came out of Cal. He was not the product that we saw in year three. He sat the bench for two years because obviously Brett Favre was there. But I remember specifically listening and reading Green Bay fans saying, Aaron, hopefully Brett Favre plays forever because this guy Aaron Rodgers sucks and we should have never drafted, <laughs> sucks. drafted him in the first round. It took two full years, but it was McCarthy that changed his mechanics. Rodgers always had came from like the Jed Tedford ball up by the ear. And when you have the when you have the ball up by the ear, instinctively it still has to come down before you release it. So Mike McCarthy got Aaron Rodgers to come more to the chest, and then it sped up his release, improved his accuracy and all that. Nobody wants to talk about that. Everybody wants to talk about how McCarthy's a boob and Aaron Rodgers is, you know, a Super Bowl winner and a quarterback god. McCarthy is still having some success here. And I don't think it's I don't think it's a coincidence that somebody like uh, Cooper Rush got in, played well within the confines of the game, and Dak Prescott hasn't missed a beat. And according now to reports, that when Dak Prescott was out and injured, Mike McCarthy made it a point to go over to Dak Prescott's house, made sure that he was still communicating with his quarterback, still made sure that he was progressing well, he was up to speed on the game plans that week. McCarthy did that. I don't think – whatever we heard from, you know, like the aloofness of Mike McCarthy with the Packers, I'm not excusing that behavior. But I think it's telling that Aaron Rodgers gets on a podcast, immediately starts talking about, well, can I still win MVP? Yeah. And Mike McCarthy's the one that's still in the playoffs. Not, again, that he doesn't have his warts. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And look, at if it's anybody else – shouldn't say anybody else. There's a lot of people that could have called Aaron Rodgers to the carpet on that. A lot of other players and whatnot. But when it's Rob Gronkowski, who played his entire career with the greatest quarterback of all time and won numerous Super Bowls, he had a lot of individual success as well. But still, the Super Bowls were the main attraction for him. I think it carries more weight in this situation. And Gronk has no – he's got no horse in this race. He doesn't care. He's just on a podcast, and he's commenting he's on – He's being Gronk. He's doing yeah. his thing. He's being honest. He's being honest. And so I think that – I mean, my point behind this is I think that if you went to the Packers team overall, his team mates, I bet a lot of them who are quiet during all this because, hey, you don't talk about your own guy, I think a lot of them would have the same exact opinion as Rob Gronkowski. Well, maybe if you worried less about yourself and worried more about being here in the offseason when you had a brand-new receiving core and instead of trash-talking them in the first couple of weeks saying it's all their fault, well, maybe if you were here earlier in the summer and you were working with them and you got to know each other and you could explain things to them, maybe we wouldn't have this obstacle right now. Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at it. He got his karma punched this season. He did, over and over. I'm not saying that I agree with what I'm about to say, but oh, do boy. you believe – that maybe he meant, if I can get back to playing at an MVP-type level, 
Because if he does not play at an MVP-type level, his team clearly does not go anywhere. They don't go anywhere. They don't make it to the playoffs. They don't get close to the Super Bowl. Do you think perhaps by him saying me winning the MVP is equivalent to playing at that level even at the age that he's at? You know, it's a fair question, Marsh. I would I would lean on track record with, with this, and I don't feel as though that when Aaron Rodgers speaks, he's worried about saying the right thing. That's why I, I think said I don't necessarily agree sure. with what I'm asking. It's but... fair, though. It's fair to ask. You know, if, you, if we're going to have a balanced conversation about right. this when we're crushing Rodgers, I think it's fair that you bring up that point. When he has spoke before, it has typically been about what is – receivers aren't doing or relax we're fine and all it's this very honest and i give him credit for being honest he's being himself but it is this very honest brash you're gonna get exactly what's in my mind and i don't think that he was referring to if i play that well then the team's gonna be good too yeah I just don't so uh air comfort service text line 314-399-9646 we've gotten this message over and over and over again from several people Telling us, you need to listen to the whole interview, guys. You know, you know, he said something about a Super Bowl in the in the earlier part of the interview. Okay, great. When he was asked about himself, his health, and they said, "Can you win another MVP?" His answer should have been, "I don't really care. I just want to win a Super Bowl. Can I win an MVP? Maybe, maybe, but I don't really care about that. Mm-hmm. For me, my ultimate success is putting rings on the fingers of all of my teammates." With a championship. Let's do this. That's what should have been answered. doesn't matter. Like Our texters may be missing the point of what we're trying to talk about here. Okay, would Tom Brady ever say anything remotely like that? No. Would Patrick Mahomes? Uh, no. Would Joe Burrow? I doubt it. Highly doubt it. Yeah. Justin Herbert? No. Peyton Manning? Would any top quarterback do that little rant that Rodgers had. And this isn't the first time that he has kept the onus on himself. I don't think so. That's that's the overall point. You don't even think MVP would come out of their mouths. He, and and if we just forget the just the MVP part for a second. What else are you talking about? Well, if you don't have the Packers, I'm not going to be a part of a rebuild. Okay, fine. All right. Uh, understandable, dude. You're 38 or whatever you are. I, I get that aspect. Yeah. But then it, I don't he, fault him for that. he continues on about how, you know, the Packers need to basically do this, that, and the other thing. Buddy, Devontae Adams wanted out. I don't think that was just to play with Derek Carr. You're playing one of the top quarterbacks in the last decade. And Devontae Adams said, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll go to, to Vegas. Away from. I'll go to Vegas. And you, complain, you better sign Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb's done nothing. The guys at the Packers front office drafted, guys like, you know, Christian Watkins actually played well. So when it comes to Rodgers and having input and all this stuff, I just feel as though that he has really made it about himself since McCarthy's been fired. I hope he goes to the Jets, Anthony. That'd be nice. With Nathaniel Hackett. Is he going to be their OC? Have they made that official? No, they're just meeting with him. What did the Jets see in Nathaniel Hackett this past year to say, you know what, i got to have that guy? I think it's what they saw before this past year. The ability to get Rodgers like he got him in Denver. Just everything he did with Aaron Rodgers. That would be a very Jets thing. If the Jets thought to themselves, you know this guy used to coach with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Hey, we'll bring him here. Like uh, Favre. Mm, completely overlooking the fact that Hackett couldn't get Rodgers to Denver.
last yeah. year. I think that team would be pretty good. I think that team would be overrated. I think that team would really? be very yeah. – uh, I think the good running game. If Brees Hall comes back healthy, he comes back. yes. They got some good receivers. Good receivers. Whole line sucks. They got a great that, defense, though. And that defense started to it, that, fracture. Yeah. Anthony, I think that it. team would be very mid. I'm just trying to get <laughs> Rodgers out of the NFC North. That's fine, Mr. Viking. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN. What's trending is next. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time to find out what's going on in the sports world with What's Trending Now. Brought to you by Goodwill. Donate a car and get tickets to the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm Andrew Marsh. It's time for What's Trending. We have Anthony Stalter, Jamie Rivers. Fellas, the NHL All-Star Game. Yes. 2023. Yeah. The jerseys have been leaked. No. And they are inspired <laughs> by, of course, the reverse retro program that the NHL and Adidas has put out. And they are also inspired by the 1994 fan favorite all-star jerseys. Different colors, though. I don't know if you've seen pictures of these. Jamie, I think you these might be your favorite jerseys, right? Yeah, no, I saw them. And I wish I didn't. Really? Yeah, they're uh, unappealing, Anthony. Quite honestly, if you were my enemy, mm-hmm. I would buy one for you and say, please wear this. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, I get the concept of what they're doing. They're going back with the, the retro look of like the whole jersey is like the outline of a star, like through the middle of it. Mm-hmm. It's just for today's market, it's just like, there's no wow factor to it. The color selection is—it's okay, but it's kind of played out. Oh, Miami! Let's go with the Miami Vice colors. Right. Oh wow, how original! Like, yeah. okay. I think there's so much more you could have done with that. You know, it, you could have had palm trees on the shoulder. You could mm-hmm. have had like something different. That I don't know. I always feel like you got to get creative, and if you really want to sell these jerseys, do something unique, not something recycled. Yeah. You know, you could do a spin on something that you had something. back in the day, but to just unveil the same jerseys. And it just says like Western Conference or right Western Eastern Conference, Eastern Conference. Conference. Like, get creative. You got the divisions, and that's how they make the teams. Atlantic, mm-hmm. you know, should have like Atlantic written in a certain right. way, and then I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but oh, let's boycott. Can't let's boycott. Let's boycott the All Star Game. Well, Anthony, you won't even boycott Mo. I've uh, I mean, I've done all I could. Have you? Literally, I've done all I could. Have you, though? Yeah. Wow. To be honest, I don't remember the last time the NHL had a good all-star jersey. Do uh, you? Hmm. I don't I don't know. I can't I can't I can't remember one that specifically stood out that I'm like, man, those were great. Yeah, I I don't like the only all-star game jerseys that I actually really care about are Major League Baseballs before Rob Manfred took over the ones that they would wear during the home run derbies those were sweet <laughs> mm-hmm. because it was sort of it was like a uh, a play on whatever team was hosting that year like the Cardinals had one I sure. love that one I love the logo like it looked great now it's just like eh. like all-star the, all, the whole all-star game in every sport is starting to fade a little bit I thought it was going to really fade again well it has been fading, I feel like, in Major League Baseball. 
But last year was was exciting. And it was probably because Pools was in the home run derby. Mm. But but watching it, I felt like it was I'm like, okay, this is this is a little bit better than it has been. But ultimately I agree with you. And I think the fact that the NFL said we're just gonna go with a flag football game as opposed to a real I that they're right. I, I think they're right to do so. I don't know what you do with these all-star games anymore. I don't I thought, know. And I thought the city of St. Louis did a great job when it when they introduced kind of the skills competition and thing like that, things like that when they came here a couple of, when the NHL had the uh, All Star game a couple of year, here a couple of years ago. Yeah, but, the skills competition's fun. Um, you know, the game itself. I actually don't hate the three on three model. It's way more exciting than what the five on five model used to be. Because the five-on-five five model was nobody hit anybody, nobody really try. We'll do a couple of fun things, and yeah, you know, like the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Now with three-on-three, three, nobody's hitting anybody, anyways. But you see some guys trying some, you know, very difficult, highly skilled maneuvers in the past. It's like watching some, the, watching the game's best players playing three-on-three. Three, it's almost like watching hockey and fast forward at times because sure. they're so fast and so good. So. I don't hate the NHL's current all-star setup. Just the jerseys. Just the jerseys. They're bad. They're I like the just bl- bad. I like the black one more than the white one. I don't know about you. I know Jamie doesn't like both of them, but. I mean, if I had a choice, I'd take the black one. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Buccaneers, they have fired their offensive coordinator, Byron Lefwich part of uh, an overhaul that also includes eight other coaches leaving the staff uh well how does this impact tom brady and his decision i don't think it i don't think, i don't think it impacts him one way or another i think he's out of tampa i think he's done i don't think he's going back there and i don't think this was a tom brady decision i think this was a todd bowles decision yeah the, he inherited that coaching staff yeah, the coaching staff was pretty successful they had a lot of success a year prior Bowles, what well, Bowles was on, well, Bowles was part of that coaching staff. But I think if if they're going to stick with Todd Bowles, they're going to give him every opportunity to pick out his own staff. Mm. That, I, I don't I don't think this has anything whatsoever to do with Tom Brady, and I think he's outie. It's going to Vegas. Wow. San Fran. You think, think he's going, going to Vegas? I think he's going to Vegas. Forty Niners have, have their quarterback. I don't see any reason he, why he would go to Vegas. That's a tough division, Anthony. I'll give you two. Josh McDaniels and Devontae Adams. I still don't think that you'd go there. Vegas, baby. Well, maybe that reason. Swayze is kind of single. Kind yeah. of. Is he? I don't know. <laughs> a rocket ship. Uh, speaking of Vegas, Don Clayman, Don, NFL Dov Clayman, uh, sources shared inner workings of the relationship between Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels on Sports Illustrated. And there's a ton of different quotes. Uh, I'll, I'll sort of sum it up, but Derek Carr sort of got his feelings hurt by what? Josh McDaniels because oh, Josh McDaniels, man. during film sessions, of course, he's very blunt with how he talks to his players, coaches, According to the sources, even was making not making fun of, but he was giving it to the water, the water boy, not getting out on the field quick enough. What did the water boy do? It, well, he wasn't he out wanted, there quick enough. But maybe okay, so he won the bourbon bowl. Hey, okay, so along those lines, Anthony, hear me out. Maybe Josh McDaniel, at some point, was looking at his team and he was like, 
this isn't good enough. I need something more. I need a game breaker. And I know that there, he's watched a documentary about a water boy that uh, when poked and prodded and insulted enough, um, loses it and turns into an incredible football player. I don't know if you've seen this documentary, I Anthony. It's, uh, but grip- it, it's it's gripping. Quite, it's moving for sure. So maybe Josh McDaniel said, "Hey, I'm just going to insult the water boy until he pictures my maybe this, maybe he pictures my face on all of the other players, mm-hmm. and he's my best player, and I'll play him on both sides of the ball, and he'll take us to the promised land." I think that maybe that's what he was basing it off of. The backstory that that documentary got into his the water boy's upbringing mm. very control loving but controlling mother yeah feeding him information that quite frankly wasn't it was inaccurate it wasn't right yeah mm. it wasn't accurate it's made up stuff. it was it was not factual and this poor kid goes into the universe i don't want to spoil it for anybody but it goes into the yeah, university and then he was made it, made fun of again he attacks he assaults a teacher a professor i mean it's it it moved, I don't know, Jamie, I don't know, it moved me to tears a couple of times. I would agree, for sure. Uh, when I watched it, it hit home mm-hmm. sometimes, you know? You're like... We I could all see ourselves in the water boy. 100%. I think yeah. there's a, a bit of the water boy in all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Josh McDaniels. <laughs> uh, his criticism <laughs> goes around to everybody, right? However, Derek Carr is the one that has the football for... Pretty much the entire game for uh, most of the game compared to other people on the field. Mm-hmm. So naturally, the criticism in these film sessions uh, are going to go towards him in his execution errors. And Derek Carr just, he did not like that. One player said Josh McDaniels. Oh, is he Jeff Albert? <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. It would be ironic if talking mean to me. Derek Carr goes to uh, New York. Um Josh McDaniels had sold (laughs) Derek on how much he believed in him. And the criticism, I think, it is just one guy's opinion, made Derek think that Josh was dishonest. So these are coming from some players within the locker room uh, saying that Derek Carr basically had his his confidence shattered. Mm. I mean, his play looked like he had his confidence shattered. At some point, though, you got to take responsibility for that and, you know, fire back. But... We're not in there. We're not in the, the, the room. So maybe there was a, a lot of issues between yeah. those two guys. Derek Carr seems like a really nice guy. He does. Um, Anthony, you know what? We talked about how the documentary moved us. Absolutely. Um, apparently, uh, it also moved Barrett Jackman. Did it? He saw the documentary. Sure. And uh, said it meant a lot to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw Barrett, you know, the the Barrett Jackman that we watched yeah. here. Elements of the Water Boys game, you know, just the way he he channeled mm. his inner yeah Water Boy. And, I would agree with that. Being I mean, Barrett's teammate um, and roommate at times on the road, mm-hmm. there's a lot of what I saw uh, from the Water Boy. You know, when he's not in rage mode, yeah, there's a lot of resemblance to Barrett Jackman. Sweet guy. I mean, great guy. Yep. Devoted son. Mm-hmm. Very devoted, mm-hmm. and always making sure to take care of everybody. Absolutely, yeah. so, way to go, Jackson. Gatorade. That's what's trending here in the fast line on 101 ESPN. If the Cardinals had the Braves model in terms of paying guys, 
What would players? Uh, what players would you give extensions to right now for the Cardinals in their future? That's next on 101 ESPN. Gatorade. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Jamie, I'm uh, I'm moved by the fact that Texters have also seen that documentary that we're talking about. Some. Not Some. all of them. Yeah, you should. So make it a part of what you do maybe this weekend. Yeah. I can't remember the name. I'm gonna get on the interwebs. Yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it, was about a, it was about a water boy. Gets uh, insulted, great kid, mm-hmm. picked on, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden he just channels that rage. Much yeah. like a Randy character. Much like know? a Randy character. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Channeling that mm-hmm. rage. Favorite wrestler, Captain Insano. Captain Insano, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. If the Cardinals had the Braves model in terms of how they've paid young players like Michael Harris last year. Got to well, have those type of players. Well before, well we'll get there. Well before <laughs> arbitration, buy out some of those arbitration years, maybe a couple of uh, free agent years as well. What players would you give extensions to on this Cardinals roster? Jamie, I said none. Um, I said absolutely none of them. Yeah, I, I, if I look, I mean, Tommy Edmond, for me, uh, I don't think that's ever going to be a bad deal because even if he ends up not being your shortstop, he'd be your second baseman, he'd be an outfielder. Like, he's a utility guy that you're always going to have a home for somewhere on your roster. Kind of you know? know what you're getting. Yeah, like when you gave the extensions to – um, like Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter and some of the ones that people are not fans of, they were very unique to the position that they were playing. Like I know Matt Carpenter could play at first, but he was playing at third base. You weren't moving him to first base in lieu of Paul Goldschmidt mm-hmm. at any point. So I I look at Tommy Edmond as a um, – if there's a, like risk involved in it, if you're, if you're investing in it's a high-risk, low-risk investment, I'd look at that as a low-risk investment. Would you do it though? Yeah. Or would you just wait? Like you don't have to choose somebody. Well, I thought that was the point of the exercise. No. Well, so it you does just say like, set me up. It does say what players would you give extensions to? Yeah, for the you future. didn't say or would you? I what I'm my answer, Jamie. You do you could do you you do what you want, man. He's moving the goalposts again. What players would you give extensions to for the future? My answer to that is no players. You're fun. You don't have a Michael Harris, as you as you perfectly pointed out. No, you don't. You don't have a Michael Harris. I hope Jordan Walker's the guy that you eventually give one of these deals to. But you don't have you don't have a. Yeah, why I think why would be you premature? I'm not talking about right now, Jamie, and you know that. But what what player? Tommy Edmond. All right, okay. Ain't gonna break the bank. Okay, but Brennan Donovan. Nope. No, not yet. He's Tommy Edmonds done it for a few years now where he's proven to you he can play multiple positions and, sure. and be, um, you know, better than average in the batter's box. But where I'm coming from with even somebody like Tommy Edmond, would you be – do you think that it's going to be difficult to to maybe sign Tommy Edmond at some point? Like, is he going to be so good he breaks the bank? 
I don't think so. No, I don't think that you have to worry about that. In, in fact, one of the reasons why, you know, they did this with Colton Wong. They paid Colton Wong. And that deal wound up looking fine. A lot of people were upset about it initially, even after a year or two in. They weren't thrilled about it. But eventually that deal looked fine. One of the reasons why they felt okay with moving on from Colton Wong, who's a really good player and a gold glover at second base, is because they had Tommy Edmond. I don't yeah. think that Tommy Edmonds that 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 guy like a Michael Harris. Well, no, or obviously not, Anthony. The question was a Cardinals player. It wasn't like oh, fantasy land. You know, we already did that in the first segment. I know, but you gave those you gave those contracts to those types of players. I hope Jordan Walker winds up being that type of player. I think he kind of has to be, right? If not, just sit. Yeah, you're right. Because here's the bigger conversation. We talked a lot about the Cardinals spending and how people feel about it. And one of my points of the last couple of days is get used to it. Get used to it. I'm not saying you have to put up with it. You don't have to go to the games. Watch them on TV. Don't have to spend uh, more more than what your cable provider or streaming service is charging you. Other than that, you don't have to go down there. If If you're so compelled to say, screw you, front office, for doing this to me, then don't go. Don't go to the games. You can still support your team. You still watch, still have fun, still take that in without investing, right? Because it's not going to change. This is their model. But now that we push the conversation forward, you if, if this is going to be your model, and I get it, I understand it from their standpoint, you better draft well. I mean impeccably well. Because that's the only way that you're going to fill in the top of the roster with premium talent. You, you did great. You struck while the iron was hot. When Goldschmidt became available, when you knew Arizona was going to pay him, you struck while the iron's hot. Excellent job. You struck while the iron's hot when Nolan Arenado got ticked off at the Colorado front office. And I think Mo caught the former president of baseball operations for the Rockies on a good day because that guy probably was blitzed out of his mind wow, to make what? a deal like that. And you got it done. Excellent. But as we've talked about, every once in a while, you get you get the Wilson Contreras or you get the Dexter Fowler. You spend a little bit more. This is not going to be a team that goes that goes guns ablazing into a into an, an off season. And they have not shown the willingness to make the big move at the deadline in quite a while. Yeah. So you better okay. Fine. Fine. We know we know that now. We know what what game they're playing. Draft well. The Cardinals have been drafting well recently. Let's see if they can land that superstar, then. Yeah. Well, they, all indication is that Jordan Walker is that superstar as far as their draft pick and, and development. So I look at this upcoming season as a real big year for both the individual, Jordan Walker, and for the franchise because he doesn't have to step in and be an all-star immediately. But he's got to show signs of what could be. And if he does, I think that at that point there, you know, you're happy with that. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals, we're going to get into this a little bit later too, but the Cardinals have quite a few prospects that are viewed nationally as really good pickups, really good picks, and you know, bright futures ahead of them. So if the Cardinals can continue to draft well and to find that one big superstar every so often – 
or what could potentially be a superstar every so often, then the franchise is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I look at it. As far as a, an extension goes for certain players, of course you want to try and lock up um, your game breaker, your franchise guy. So Jordan Walker, all things being equal, if he ends up doing what we think he can do, he'll be that guy that you'd like to give a contract extension to and try to lock him up for a long period of time with the birds on the bat. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. And I agree with you. Right now the Cardinals don't have a um, – a number of guys that you'd even really consider a contract extension for. I picked Tommy Edmund just because I think it's low risk. Throw him an extra couple of years on his contract. Great. You're locked in. Where is he going to play? I don't care. He's going to play somewhere. We know he will. But again, Tommy Edmund's not that star player. Right. So the discussion of locking up a young star player is a whole different ball of wax than locking up Tommy Edmund. Very true. And right now, currently, the Cardinals don't have that player that would be worthy of that long-term extension. Not one bit. No. 311, your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We're going to talk to Chris Kerber next. He's going to be on the call tonight. Blues and Predators will get his thoughts on that matchup next in the Fastlane. We're right back to the Fastlane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tonight, you got the Blues and the Predators. Pre-game starting at 6 o'clock. And, of course, you'll hear the voice of the Blues not only throughout the pre-game show, but when the puck drops as well at Enterprise Center. It's Chris Kerber, and he joins us for the Brown and Kerbin Celebrity Line. Kerbs, congratulations to your G-men. Yeah, nice to see them go on a little playoff run, isn't it? Absolutely. It's Danny Dimes. Maybe this, maybe this kid is a franchise quarterback. <laughs> well, let's just let him get through a playoff series and then uh, or two and then We'll see if he can follow it up. We'll give him a few years before we worry about that argument. Curbs, curbs. You're part <laughs> of well, the iron's hot. You're curbs. part of the media. You know how this goes. You've got yeah, to take a small sample, one playoff game, <laughs> and extract yeah. that and say the, the kid's likely uh, bound for Canton. You know how this works. Right. And then I do. And then and then we have to sit there and explain why it didn't happen. Yes, it that's just correct. seems like we could start start there. Well, you know that's uh, logical, <laughs> curbs, and we don't uh, we don't operate in logic. But it is. But to your point, though, it is it is kind of amazing. Is uh, they're testing some speakers here. <laughs> that's called that's called feedback on the microphones. Um, it, it is amazing just how long it has taken. It takes franchises to turn around, isn't it? I mean, they end up in a rut. They go through three, four, five coaches, maybe one or two general managers, you know. And it's just it takes quite a long time for franchises, it seems, especially in the NFL, to really turn a corner. Well, it's about finding the right coach, and they found the seemingly found the right coach in Brian Dable. The Blues found the right guy in Craig Berube, who had been in their organization and just get, had to give him an opportunity. So maybe this kind of goes back to now the Blues going through a season right now where we expected more. Uh, I think that's fair, and the injuries and you know some inconsistent play has led us to where we are right now. Can you talk to you know the coaching staff and the ability to keep the ship righted even in a season like this that has been mostly frustrating? Yeah, you know what I, I was thinking about this earlier, and and if you look at this season, let, let's just extrapolate it out just a little bit. Let let's look at one scenario. Let's say the Blues miss the playoffs. If they miss the playoffs, 
are we sitting there saying that that was a disappointing year? And, and I think you absolutely have to. Um, and, and then you say, okay, well, where does it go? Well, there was clearly roster construction issues that didn't gel. That's, that's general manager related. Uh, one issue is, is there's, there hasn't been as much attention to detail quite as much, I think, this year as we've had in previous years. To me, that's coaching-related issues. You know, and then there's, then there's the inexperience and then just, you know, some, just some of the, the attitude of, of, of some of the players just waiting for somebody else to do it. Now, that, that's, that's player-related issues. But when you sit here and, and you look at, 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 to me, more specifically your question of the coaches, I got a lot of faith in this coaching staff. I mean, we, we talk with them on a regular basis, and they say the right things. Like, they tell you the exact game plan you're going to need, and when we see it, you see the team find success. When you don't see it, then it is, it's, it's clearly an issue. And, and I think one of the biggest examples of this might be what they call the, the, the togetherness of, of, uh, of, of Thomas and Kairou's line. Like, when they're on the ice, if, if they're playing closer together where they could support each other and have little give-and-goes and things like that, they can have success. But a lot of times you'll see one guy battling on the wall, a guy in the middle of the ice, and another guy way off, you know, 20 feet away on the other side of the ice. And, and it's just impossible to get any kind of consistency there. Then if the guy on the wall loses the puck, it comes the other way. No one's in position to defend, and it looks really bad. So, you know, to me, the coaches still have this thing buttoned up pretty good. And I talked to two young guys at the morning skate today and said, hey, how, how do you describe this coach? And they said, you know what? He's fair. He's hard on you. He says, but, but coaches had to be hard on young players. That, that's how they learn. But both guys said, you know what? He's fair. He tells us exactly what he wants to see, and it's up to us to do it. And I, and I, the fact that a, you know two young players still trying to make their way or stay in that, that, that tells me that uh, that the coaching staff still has everything it needs. Curbs, one of the young players that uh, got the answers to the test and used them is Jake Neighbors. And you know, talking to Jake Neighbors uh, here on the fast lane a couple of days ago. Uh, one, he's extremely well-spoken and he, he's very mature beyond his years. But the biggest thing that jumped off the page to me is describing what he needs to do to be successful and what he needs to do in the NHL to help this Blues team. And he's been doing it. And he's played really, really well. And he steps up last game with the fight, which is great. You know, that goes so far with teammates and coaching staff and things like that. But you're watching. You've been watching all year long. And Jake Neighbor starts the season, goes down, comes up, goes down. But since he's come back this last time, I feel like we're we're finally seeing you know the development in progress here because he's played very well. Well, and and I I texted you right after that interview and said, man, there there's some guys that uh, I, I you know another four years in the league, I don't think do the same interview that he just did. I agree with you, Jamie. When when you have a young player that can articulate verbally what they need to do or what they need to see or what they're trying to do on the ice that that gives you a good sense of where they are mentally and how and how they can get it he just understands the game and my my the, the thing that told me the most is when he answered the question about look when I, well, the first time when he was up here he was so concerned about being on the right side of the puck being on the defensive side doing things right that the coaches don't get mad at you that you know he kind of wasn't thinking about actually going to play offense and going down to Springfield when they put him in all those different situations kind of brought that part of his game, and then you realize, oh, part of playing that defense is actually offense because the other team has to defend against you. And, you know, he's just uh, really from the moment he got here, he's had a presence where he could hang in a circle with the veterans as much as he could hang in a circle with the, with the, 
the new guys, and that just it, it just connects. And so I, I think I think in the room, especially when when you listen to him say, "Well, I didn't really see how Achari was hit," you know, I just know that something had to be awkward the way he went down. So he just did it like. There's just some kind of old school hockey sense, and it's not really a surprise, is it, that it's both, uh, you know, that that his biggest mentor since he got with the St. Louis Blues has been Braden Shen, is it? No, not at all. And quite honestly, Curbs, I don't know how you feel about this, but in describing Jake Neighbors, because you know how it is, people around St. Louis they grab you, you, me, and other guys, and they say, you know what? Like, what is your version of Jake Neighbors five years from now, or what's the ceiling for Jake Neighbors? I don't know if it's the ceiling. But I look at Braden Shen and see, you know, the future of Jake Neighbors. I see a guy that is responsible, that is going to get to the front of the net, be gritty along the wall, stick up for teammates. He may not be as good of a fighter as Braden Shen by the end of his career, but it doesn't matter. I, that, I, that's my comparable for, for Jake Neighbors. Well, yeah, and, and I don't know yet, uh, and there's, there's no way to know. I don't know yet if he's going to be the 60, 70-point player that Braden Shen has proven that he can be, and at times is. But yeah, there's there's similar styles in in, in the way they look. Uh, they're uh, the the defensive awareness on the ice, the stand up for your teammate. And you know what? In, in today's National Hockey League, you don't have to be that great of a fighter. You don't have to do it very often. But there are just a key moments that even if you grab a guy and just hold on like holy hell, try to get a couple punches in there and defend yourself you're still going to fire your teammates up because the game just doesn't have that as much anymore. So uh, he's, he's just got a, he's got a great awareness for it. And that see, when I look to the future, Jamie, with this hockey team and the future, may be just a few weeks away at the trade deadline, but we're seeing right now what this team looks like, in my opinion, without O'Reilly, Tarasenko and Krug. And I'm going, okay, well, who fills the role if Tarasenko leaves, you know, and you're like, well, is that Jake neighbors on the right side? Or I'm sorry, is that the, Jordan Cairo on the right side. Okay, he moves up the lineup. All right, who, who fills Ryan O'Reilly's role? I don't see anybody on that. Who fills Ivan Barbish's role? I don't think the team has anybody that, that does that, except for maybe, you know, Jake Neighbors and Ivan Barbashev may end up being comparables too. But you're talking about players that, you know, are already in year 6, 7, 10, 13 of their career. So it's going to take a while for them to get there. So it just shows you that if you do shift away from those guys to younger players, just the growth process that it's going to take for those guys to get to that level. But you've got to be encouraged when you see somebody like Jake Neighbors to really feel like you've got somebody that can get to that level. Yeah, absolutely. And Jake Neighbors uh, elevated in the lineup, uh, at least based upon the lines today at Morning Skate. you got Neighbors, Shen, and Buchnevich, and Saad has been moved to the line with Thomas and Kairou. Curbs, what do you think of the line changes? Does, is it something you think uh, that will work, or do you like it, or are you not sure? Well, um, honestly, I'm not sure. The, the whole season for the Blues to me has been like that Forrest Gump box of chocolates, right? I just, you just don't know what you're going to get uh, on a nightly basis. I, I don't know that the left wing with Kairou and Thomas really matters all that much until those guys get it figured out how to battle and play through some of the key matchups that they're facing. You know, so to me, that part's okay, but obviously it wasn't working yet. It, 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 it stopped working really with Butchnevich over there. I like the idea of Jake Neighbors getting a little more ice time. But now here's the challenge. He's now going to get some different matchups and some different uh, responsibilities. If he's playing with Braden Shen there, you're, you're talking about maybe defending against the Duchesne and Johansson line tonight. How does he do there? Does it work well? Do they decide to make the change in the first period? That part remains to be seen. 
But this, is, again, goes right back to the first question we talked about with Craig Berube. You play well. You play a certain way for this coach. He's going to reward you. And that is exactly what Jake Neighbors did. So if you're another young guy still trying to crack the lineup or looking for more ice time, that there's your perfect example of how you do things with this coach. You play well. He's going to give you more, and then it's your opportunity to take advantage of it. Well said, Curbs. Appreciate uh, having you on the show. We'll be listening tonight, not only during the pregame, but also when the uh, puck drops at Enterprise Centers, the Blues host the Predators. Thank you. All right, fellas. Have an awesome weekend. Thank you. You do the same. Thank you. That's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, right here on 101 ESPN. Let's hand out some uh, Metallica tickets, huh? Yes! Let's, go. Let's hand out these Metallica tickets. Last day. We have your chance to win a pair of tickets to night two of Metallica, November 5th at the Dome at America Center. Metallica playing two nights, two different sets, two different opening acts. Night one, which is November 3rd, that features special, special guest Pantera. Night two, November 5th, which is our tickets, featuring special guest Five Finger Death Punch and Ice Nine Kills. Single show tickets going on sale Friday, so tomorrow at 10 a.m. If you don't win our trivia question today, you find a bonus chance to win tickets for Metallica now at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 mobile app. Earlier in the show, we talked about a documentary, and uh, somebody texted Jamie and said, it's a former player, that said, uh, you know what, I saw that documentary, and I, I implemented um, a lot of uh, what the documentary said into my game and who I was as a person. Who is the person that texted Jamie during that segment? Former Blues player. Former Blues player. We'll narrow it down for you. If you text in 314-399-9646, if you got the correct answer and you're the 101st texter, you're going to go see Metallica November 5th at the Dome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See what you did there. Mm-hmm. It's Fastlane on 101 ESPN. NFL playoffs. Fun with odds. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Before we get to the NFL playoffs, fun with odds. Congratulations to Mike from Hawk Point, Missouri. He won the Metallica tickets. He had the correct answer to our trivia question, which was, which former Blues player texted Jamie when we were talking about a very moving documentary from earlier in the show and said that he too saw that documentary and loved it? Uh, which former player was it? Correct answer is Barrett Jackman. Barrett Jackman. So Mike is going to go see Metallica on November 5th. It's perfect. Maybe he could offer to bring Bear Jackman. With. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Mike also apparently lost to uh, Marshy in the Gauntlet not too long ago. And he's, it was on a Kurt Russell question. And he's still carrying that around. And with he's him. still yeah. carrying around. Yeah. It's that miracle question. Yeah, who who played uh, the head coach in USA? Was that what it was? Miracle. Yeah, who, uh, who's Herb Brooks? Mm-hmm. Of course, it was Kurt I Russell. You know, we talk about the documentary. Um, but then, you know, you had that movie Miracle. That just doesn't seem very realistic to me. No. 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 That movie was, you could yeah, tell it's, it's like, just Hollywood. Okay, okay, like, that really? would never happen. Yeah, like, it's just not believable. Okay. There players were way too good. Like, right. the actors were way too good at, at playing hockey. Like, it just makes no sense. Yeah, the Russian team. I mean, you can beat them. Come on. Yeah. All right. It's Fastlane on 101 ESPN with Jamie Rivers and Andrew Marsh and Anthony Salter. All right, boys. Fun with odds. NFL playoff edition. Yes. Highest scoring team in the divisional rounds. Chiefs are the favorite. The Giants have the worst odds. You've got your odds available uh, right there if you're looking at it. They're all courtesy of FanDuel Sportsbook. 
Chiefs are plus 220, Eagles 390, Bills 450, 49ers 700, Jaguars 1000, Bengals plus 1200, Cowboys plus 1300, and as I mentioned, the Giants have the worst odds at plus 1500. Yeah, I think you, for these types of bets, for me anyways, I I don't look at the team so much as I look at the game. Mm-hmm. And because right away you're like 49ers, right? But they're playing the Cowboys. Cowboys defense is pretty good. So maybe that doesn't happen. The Bills, the Bengals, you know that's going to be a war. They're going to get after it there. So I don't think there's going to be any easy scoreboard there. The Eagles, to me, have a pretty good chance over the Giants. Um, I mean, that's going to be my my pony right there. As much as I've talked about the possibility of the Giants upsetting, I think the Jaguars give the Chiefs a tougher game. So I think the Eagles score more points. Marsh? I have the Bengals. I think that Bengals-Bills game is going to be a shootout, and I have the Bengals winning. So, by default, they're my team with the highest score. And I like the odds right there, too, compared to everybody else. So, I think I'd pick them. I I still think there's plenty of value in the favorite at the Chiefs plus 220. Of course you do. I think the Chiefs score 30-plus points. I think multiple teams score 30-plus points. I think the Eagles are another team that scores 30-plus points this weekend. But if you're going to kind of take the ch- the safe choice but also get some good odds, I'll take the Chiefs for the highest-scoring team. you got to risk a little bit sometimes, Anthony. Lowest-scoring team. Giants are favored here, which, of course, and it's basically the same odds. Uh, but for you guys, lowest-scoring team. Marsh, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Cowboys. I think that... On the flip side of what I just said with the Bengals-Bills being a a shootout, I think the Cowboys-49ers game is going to be a little bit more low scoring because of the two defenses. Uh, And I I do believe the 49ers will beat the Cowboys. So I have the Cowboys. uh, They're my team with the lowest score. They're my horse, too. Absolutely. I look at the 49ers defense. That's a heck of a defensive squad right there. So, yeah, for those reasons and what Marshy mentioned as well, I don't see the Cowboys putting up a lot of points. I'm going to go with the Giants. Oh, here we go again. I think the Eagles shut them down. Boy, chalk everywhere. Plus 360, still pretty good pretty good odds there. Giants. Real risk taker. On the road, once again, better defense this time around. Danny Dimes going to have a, a difficult time moving the ball against the Eagles after what he did against the uh, Vikings and that Swiss cheese of a defense last last week. <laughs> you watch your mouth. Marsh, you know you agree with me. Yeah, to score a touchdown this weekend, Travis Kelsey, minus 145, Jalen Hurts, minus 120, Stefan Diggs, uh, plus 105, and Christian McCaffrey, minus 160. Or you can go off the board if you want. Go for it. Who's like, the, who's like your guarantee to score a TD this weekend? Um, Rushing or receiving? I think the the guarantee for me is Travis Kelsey. I mean, what are the odds? Minus one forty five. Yeah, see, that's not fun to do that. I'm not like you, Anthony. I'm going to take a little bit of a risk. Okay. Um, uh, George Kittle. Ooh. I think he's guaranteed. I think they're going to get into the red zone, and George Kittle's just going to run a little, going to do a little block, roll off the block, little out pattern, boom. You even got the breakdown of. Of the uh, visualized it, yeah. Last you're gonna, night you're gonna make that happen. You even visualized the route. I, I like played it. the whole game last night in my <laughs> did head. You? I did. Good. Yeah, that's why I picked the Cowboys to not score very much. I have it all <laughs> laid out. Fair enough. Marsh, I think I'm gonna go with Christian Kirk with the Jags. The Jaguars. Yeah, I know he's not on this list that we have provided, but uh, 
It's a bad list. Man, it, it's tough to... Bad list. <laughs> tough to go against those those Jags wide receivers there's so many of them uh -huh. but I like I think I like the the value that's there as well so I'm, I'm gonna go with Christian value. Kirk I'm gonna go Dawson Knox tight end of the Bills Ooh. he scored one last week I think he's got a touchdown the last couple of weeks and Jamie's been giving me so much crap for choking <laughs> on chalk I'll go with a, a legit underdog Super Bowl correct matchup Got a bunch of different odds, huh? so tell me the exact matchup that you feel like the Super Bowl is going to be. And if you mention who you think the Super Bowl matchup is oh, going to be, I'll give you the odds. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, sure, Anthony. Like, for example, I think we're going to get a rematch of Chiefs and 49ers from a couple of years ago, plus 500. Yeah, that was mine, too. All right, well, I'll, I'll do something different. Now you know why I went with chalk on some of these. <clears throat> well, I just think it makes most sense, too. Um... Man, I think it's going to be – I really believe that it will be the Bengals and the 49ers. That would be one of the the, the longer plays there, and Which, I don't, I don't hate know why. it at all. Like, the Bengals have every opportunity. They're good enough to get there, and mm -hmm. certainly the 49ers are too. I, what's, the, uh, what's the value on that one? So I didn't write that one down, well, but the Bengals Eagles plus plus eleven hundred. If I remember correctly, it was like plus thirteen hundred. See, that's where I'm going right now. Bengals sportsbook. I'm gonna pop up on there and get that right now. That would be the third time those two two teams faced face each other in the Super Bowl. That's true. Has not been favorable for the Bengals. No, not at all. <laughs> I said earlier in the season before the playoffs started, I think it would be cool to see. The two Kelsey brothers go up against each other. And, of course, they're the two number one seeds. So it sort of feels like a, a cop-out. But uh, I, I'm going to stick with it. I, I think the Chiefs and Eagles are going to be my matchup for the Super Bowl. That's the one I think I would like to see the most. This one's kind of interesting. We'll, we'll wrap it up on this one. Most playoff passing yards. It's not this weekend only. It's for the entire playoffs. So team? Nope. Player. Quarterback. Yeah quarterback so josh allen for example is already thrown for 352 yards huh. but if you think like marshy does that the Bengals are going to beat the bills this weekend then josh allen is in your horse mm. so yeah most playoff passing yards i'm gonna go with joe burrow joe burrow is plus 800 last week against the ravens he only threw for 209 yards but tough matchup I still think I still my horse. I got to go with Pat Mahomes if I have the the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. You know, going up against Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl. I don't think Jalen Hurts will throw as many, you know, throw for as many yards as Mahomes. He usually uses his legs. Uh, plus, he's got that shoulder thing going oh, on. Oh, he's fine, Marsh. Pat Mahomes plus five fifty. I'm gonna go Brock Purdy plus five hundred. Purdy's already got three hundred thirty-two yards on the board. If I Cowboys. believe the 49ers can advance, Cowboys. He, he's going to play all four games. I'll take Purdy in this one. Plus 500? Cowboys, like Anthony. Cowboys what? You know. They're going to lose? Well, yeah, they're going to lose, but they're, yeah. they're not going to let Brock Purdy throw all over the field, though. Really? Yeah, really. We'll see about that. Okay. It's Fastlane on 101 ESPN. Got some blues cues next. So 314-399-9646 if you got any blues cues. Or a mic drop if you want to get on the mic, mic drop. drop absolutely. We there love it. the mic drop. Yeah, and send us a blues cues. Mm -hmm. Marshy loves it. He does. Look at him. He's 
already in there too. Look at that. He's got his blues, St. Louis blues. Old. He's got all these sweatshirts that I know he went to his parents' house and just raided like the Tupperwares down, down in the not basement. this one or the yeah. Rubbermaid. Rubber, yeah. Tupperwares for food. Well, may, I don't know his parents. Maybe they do keep, uh, you know, that, their clothes. That is not fitting in a Tupperware bowl. This one. Have you seen some of the Tupperware? Yeah. They're bigger now. Oh, are they? Mm-hmm. They're making them bigger now. They are. Andy, this one, I got this a few years ago. This one, it's new. Ish. No, 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 no. <laughs> we talked about how cool all the stuff is in STL Authentics. Yeah. Uh, right there. Mm-hmm. Boom. There you go. Anyways, Blues Q's next in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Now, it's time for the Fast Lane's Blues Cues. That's right, time for the Fast Lane's Blues Cues, as you just heard the uh, big man say. If you want to leave us a mic drop, great. We love listening to your mic drops for the 101 ESPN app. Or if you text us at 314-399-9646, we'll have your blues-related questions right off. Yeah, we will. Go ahead, Marsh. From the 314, Jamie, what is one thing you wish hockey fans realize is a common misperception about hockey? A common misperception about hockey. That's a good one, especially coming off of what Peyton Manning was saying on that broadcast on Monday that, you know, everybody's talking about halftime adjustments. They're not really, they don't really exist. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, a common misconception. I, I'd have to think, what's a misconception to some fans, Anthony? What would they, what, what do people say what all a, the time? Um, what about, like, a statistic, like a plus-minus or something that's... Yeah, plus minus or shooting percentage or something. Well, that... Shooting percentage is uh, so sometimes you know you look at shooting percentage and the guy has a, a low shooting percentage and you think to yourself, oh, that guy's not a very good goal scorer, but he might be. I got one for you. What about the goalie and the impact? I gotta finish that though. No, screw that. What about the goalie and his play? Yeah, based on the f- the five men in front of him. Yeah, I mean it's a big factor. Hmm, That's for sure. Want, Jamie, I don't care. What? Do you, what you want? You asked me a question. Am I not I'm supposed trying to, to help. answer it for you? I'm trying to help you. Ask the damn question again. What are you asking me? Is it a common misconception from people who fans that watch hockey? Yeah, that a lot of the goaltender's performance is only predicated on. How how many goals he gets he gives up? Yeah, it's what Elliot Friedman was saying on Twitter a couple months ago, saying Jordan Bennington wasn't good because of his stats. When, well, we know that that was simply not the case. Well, if that's the case, then Grant Fuhr wouldn't be in the Hockey Hall of Fame because Grant Fuhr, uh, you know, in his era in particular, there was a lot of offense and his goals against and all that were, you know, if you put them side by side next to a couple of the goalies. Uh, that are with him in the Hall of Fame. You're like, well, I don't know about this. Uh, but you watch him play, and when the game was on the line or when the playoffs came around, Granfier would lock it down. And so, I mean, one of the biggest gamer goalies that I've ever played with or against, for that matter. So, yeah, to your question, Anthony, uh, look, the goaltender, for me, has to pass the eye test as well as the numbers 
thing. So if you look at Jordan Bennington, let's just keep it local. Let's keep it right here. Let's keep it in the moment. Jordan Bennington's numbers are not good right now. They're not. Uh, is that a direct reflection of his play overall? No. I've gone back digging through almost, can't say I'll almost every goal against because I've been very passionate about this argument. I've counted four goals that I think are just absolutely unacceptable against Jordan Bennington. There's a slew of goals that fall into the category of would he kind of like that back? Yes, but then there's an astronomical number of goals that have been scored against Jordan Bennington where he has no chance, where the odds on that particular shot are off the charts for the shooter. And so when you put all that together and you look at the numbers, you go, oh, his numbers aren't great. But when you flip it and dive into different numbers, higher, like the grade A chances against and all that, the numbers show you that he's actually showing up in those moments. All right, guys. The other day I saw on Twitter, actually it was last night, a video of Ron Tugnut. Who? Ron Tugnut. What was he doing? He was stopping 70 shots against the Bruins. Just an unbelievable. He had 19 against Ray Bork. So from the 314, Jamie, which goaltender bailed you out the most when you were in the league? Oh, well, all of them. I'd like to personally thank them all on <laughs> uh, various levels. Now, Grant Fuhr, let's start there. Fuhrzy was awesome. Uh, there's, I never forget this play. It was against Colorado. Here was an afternoon game in St. Louis. And, boy, I thought I saw a guy wide open up the middle of the ice. I passed that thing tape to tape. I mean, had sizzle on it, tape to tape, to the other team. <laughs> and uh, Joe Sackick, mind you, I mean, kind of a good hockey player. He came in and he, I mean, I mean, odds against me there. And Fierzy made a save. And there was nobody within a country mile of Joe Sackick and Grant Fuhr. Grant Fuhr came up with a big save. Um, and then the intermission, as we're skating off, to the bench to go. I go out and tap Fierzy on the pads, and he, he said to me, he goes, uh, yeah, you might want to think about a different player to give that to next time. <laughs> I was like, all right. Yeah. Fierzy, thank you. You didn't make me feel like crap. You know, I kind of <laughs> laughed and giggled. But yeah, Grant Fuhrer's one of those guys uh, playing with Curtis Joseph as well. Cujo was awesome. Just a gamer. Dominic Hasek is pretty good goalie. Not too bad. I would say so. Yeah, so those guys there probably did a lot of saving my bacon. <laughs> All right, we did get a mic drop. You guys asked for it, and Timothy delivers. Here's Timothy. Hey, Rivers. Are incentive-based contracts, do those go against the salary cap or not? Because if not, why not try to sign Barbashev three years for nine with incentives? All right, bye. Yeah, the incentives are gone. Uh, once the salary cap era hit the NHL, I don't know if it was right away or whittled away because there there's certain criteria that otherwise that's what teams would do, right? They would corner a player and say, uh, yeah, your base salary of a million dollars, but you could make 10 million if you scored 112 goals. You know, like it, right. some of it would not make sense. So the... Uh, and it's too hard because you'd have a floating cap hit then, basically, because what happens if nobody hits their bonuses or their incentives? Then you have a, a just an influx of cap space. But then what if everybody hits their incentives and it puts you over the cap? What are you disqualified? Hmm. 
And then how could you operate under the premise of question marks? Yeah. You know? So, yeah, the incentives are, are no longer in the contract. All right, from the 480, Jamie, are there any goons left in the NHL, or has that old-school, unofficial position been washed off of all teams' rosters? Yeah, there's no official goons left, and I can tell you this, that uh, nobody really, none of those guys have really liked that word goon. Mm-hmm. They didn't, and, and I don't blame them because, look, those guys were some of the best hockey players on their teams at different times in their careers, but their path to the NHL was either by design for them to make it by fighting or by the coach telling them, hey, the only way you're going to play on my team is if you continue to just fight, guys. So I don't really like the word goon, um, but the, there's no real goons left. I mean, if, even if you look at your toughest players in the NHL, the Ryan Reeves, the Tom Wilson, Milan Lucic, guys like that, um, even Delorier with the, the Flyers, like Delorier is still a guy that gets put out there to kill penalties from time to time. Ryan Reeves, we've seen him on the power play in front of the net in the playoffs at times. Tom Wilson, I mean, he's a game breaker. He's a 20-goal he's scorer. And Milan Lucic, you know, his play, uh, certainly when he was younger, speaks for itself. But, he, you know, he's not that type of guy anymore. Anthony, have you seen that documentary, Goon? Yeah. Yeah, it's another one yeah. that uh, really actually, feeds made two to of your them. soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, it's Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Time for the gauntlet next. We're right back to the Fast Lane podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Can you survive the gauntlet? Your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Jamie Rivers and Andrew Marsh. I'm Anthony Stalter, and we welcome in Bill after Patty made quick work of us and and won the gauntlet the last three days, won it yesterday uh, to beat Jamie. We welcome in Bill right now. What's up, Bill? Well, all I do is just listen to you guys every day, and sometimes I do good, sometimes do bad, but I think I would have... I uh, wonder, like Patty, the last three days, so maybe I might get lucky today. Okay, well, hey, yeah, let's see how you do, Bill. Appreciate you. you listening. You get to choose the opponent. The wheel gets to choose the category. So which opponent would you like, Jamie, Marsh, or myself? Okay, now, Jamie's hockey, your football, and Marsh is no. baseball. So here's the thing now. We, okay, go we're going to – the new gauntlet is well, the wheel will spin – Okay. And the wheel chooses the category. So you can get Jamie in football like Patty did yesterday. So it's okay, up, okay. It's up to the wheel right. in the category. Who would you like to choose? Okay, let's go for Jamie. All right, Jamie. All right. You're out. Good luck, Jamie. Good luck, my friend. All the best. Thank you, sir. So Jamie, Jamie's going to move into the cone of silence right now. And once he, do, once he does, we're going to spin the wheel. Uh, Bill, very, very simple. Just say one, two, three, spin the wheel. One, two, three, spin the wheel. All right, so Marsh and I are looking at the wheel right now. Do you have a category you'd love to have? I'm pretty good at all three of them, really, so it don't matter. You're going to be tested today, my friend. The wheel landed on hockey. Well, I started with the Blues in 67, so I might... Remember some of them. All right. Well, there you go. I like the confidence. So it is okay, hockey. This you. this is the first time, Marsh, that one of us got our actual normal category. Well, I, I had random the other day. 
I know, yeah. but but I suck at it. Like, yeah, you're no, right, no, Anthony. No, no. Thanks it's just, for giving it's me just confidence. Different. Right. It's not like I've been listening. I heard you crying every time you got uh, didn't get football. So yeah, no, big time. <laughs> you should have seen the tears coming right out of my face, Bill. You heard? Well, just wait right, so, uh, uh I can go a shot at uh, hockey. I always really want to go at Jamie anyway, so. Might as well take a crack at it. All right, there you go. Here we go. So, Bill versus Jamie, if you need the options, Bill, just say need the options, and they're worth one point, not two. Question number one, which Blues player scored the first goal of the 2019 Stanley Cup final? 2019. Okay, let's go uh, Perron. David Perron, final answer? Yeah. All right, question number two. Who leads the NHL this season with three hat tricks? Uh, he'll probably know this. Let's see. Give me the options. Your options are Jack Hughes, Connor McDavid, or Tage Thompson. Tage Thompson been on a hot streak. Let's go with Tage Thompson. All right, question number three. Which goaltender led the league in shutouts last season? Okay, let's go with... uh, Oh, I can't think of the kid's name, but uh, uh, I think... Let's go with... uh, Okay, give me the options. Ilya... Sure. Ilya Sorokin, Jacob Markstrom, or Igor... Shishkirkskin. I'm guessing Igor Shishkirkskin. Final answer? Yes, sir. Last question for you, Bill. Who has played in the most playoff games in Blues history? Most playoff games in Blues history. Ah... Let's see. I'm guessing in Blues history, I'm guessing Brett Hall. Final answer? Yeah. All right. All right, let's welcome back Jamie from the Cone of Silence. Bill, how are you feeling? Uh, 50-50 maybe. Okay. You never know. All right, Jamie's welcome back in. So, Bill, will uh, you hang tight here? Jamie's putting his... Earbuds How in. did Wild Bill do, Anthony? Well, Marsh, tell him. Jamie? Yeah? Better pack a lunch. Son of a... All right, Jamie, here we go. Now, right. Jamie didn't know what the category no. was okay. entering. Here we go. What do you think it is? Uh, I'll probably random. All right. Which eel is the biggest <laughs> eel in the Atlantic? Which eel is the biggest eel in the Atlantic? Mm-hmm. You're kidding me. It's what? the Atlantic eel. Which Blues player ah. scored the first goal of the 2019 Stanley Cup Final? It is hockey today. Oh, my gosh. The first goal of the Stanley Cup Final? Yes. That's tough. Uh, I don't know. Give me answers or options. <laughs> options. Please. Uh, was it Vladimir Tarasenko, David Perron, or Braden Shen? Wow. Okay. Stanley Cup final in Boston. Braden Shen. I have no idea. Braden Shen, final answer. 
Question number two. Who leads the NHL this season with three hat tricks? Man, you'd have to think it's Connor McDavid, wouldn't you? Uh, I know he'll be an option. Three hat tricks. Wow, Grant, great job on the questions. <laughs> I, I know he's going to be an option, so I'm just going to go with it. Is Connor McDavid? Final answer. Yeah, final answer. I feel really dumb today. All right, Jamie. Yeah. Question number three: Which goaltender led the league in shutouts last season? All statistical ones. I hate these. Who led? The shutouts. I don't know. Options. Ilya Sorokin, mm. Jacob Markstrom, yeah. or Igor Shesterkin. Shesterkin. Igor Shesterkin. Final answer? Yeah. Last question, Jamie. Who has played in the most playoff games in Blues history? feel like it's going to be someone rather recent because of the amount of playoff games. I feel like Alex Petrangelo is a good option, but I'm going to narrow it down. Give me the options, please. Your options are Chris Pronger, Vladimir Tarasenko, or Brett Hull. Ah, it's Vladdy. Big Daddy Vladdy. Final answer? No. Hang on. Let me think. So 97, 98, 96, 97. And then he was gone. Lockout years, so talk 10 years. Bloody. Golly, Anthony, this is a tough one. Prongs made the playoffs every single year as a St. Louis Blue. I'll go need, with Chris Pronger. Final need answer. An answer. Okay. Final answer, Anthony. All right. Bill versus Jamie. We'll spun. I bet it's terrible. To Jamie's category. Not today. But Bill was fine with it. All right. Question number one. Which Blues player scored the first goal of the 2019 Stanley Cup final? Bill, no options. You went David Perron. Jamie took the options. You went Braden Shen. Correct answer is... It's Braden Shen. 1-0 Jamie. Which goaltender led the league in shutouts last season? You guys both took the options. You both went with Igor Shesterkin. 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 Yeah. Of the Rangers. Yes. You both took the options. Like I said, both wound up with Igor. Correct answer is Jacob Markstrom. So Jamie's still with a yeah, 1-0 lead. a terrible year, too. I wow. found that uh, very interesting as well. <laughs> wow. Jamie's still up 1-0. Who has played in the most playoff games in Blues history? This one tormented Jamie. You eventually, though, landed on Chris Pronger after considering Vladimir Tarasenko. Well, Bill, Prongs made the playoffs every single year of the St. Louis Blues. Bill, you went with Brett Hall. Correct answer is... It's Brett Hall, Jamie, 102 games. And Bill didn't use the options either. Wait, wait, in Blues... Who has played Blues the most history. playoff games in Blues history? Brett Hull with 102. 
Wow. Now, we could check Grant's work here in a little bit. No, no, no. It's, I, I'm sure it's true. But right now, Bill has a 2-1 lead over Jamie. Because, again, Bill did not need the options on Brett Hall. Bill's got me. Comes down to this. Who leads the NHL this season with three hat tricks? Jamie did not use the options and went with Connor McDavid, who was an option. Bill went with former blue, Tage Thompson. If it's Tage Thompson or the other option, which is Jack Hughes, Bill wins. If it's Connor McDavid, Jamie wins because Jamie didn't use the options. Bill's got it. Bill? You have chosen wisely. It was Tage Thompson. Wow. Bill gets Jamie today 3-1, to one, and Bill advances to round two of the gauntlet. The losing streak continues for the fast lane. Bill, yeah. congratulations. Jamie, I'm very happy because I, I started this. Uh, I first, uh, when 67, when I started, I was went to uh, hockey games for the with the Hall and all those guys and support them very heavily. So I appreciate it. And uh, I figure if I could get by you, I got a shot. So I, I appreciate it. And I thank you very much. Billy did a great yeah. job, my man. Congratulations. Yeah. Could I say hi to a couple of people here? Sure, Bill. Sure, Bill. Okay, first I want to say hi to my wife who was trying to listen in the other room and to Debbie and all my uh, ushers at the ballpark. Very cool. Uh, yeah, so I appreciate it, and I'll see you tomorrow. All right, thanks, Bill. We'll call you thank tomorrow. Thank you, nice Jamie. Job. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. No bye. problem. Have appreciate a great you. one, buddy. Thank you. Good luck. Okay, bye. Bye. All right, Jamie, you got to get out of here. you got to go do some TV work. I yeah. felt like you were distracted. I uh, no, I give Bill full credit. Little, I give I mean full a little distracted, to too, but, but um Jamie kind of pigeon pigeonholed himself uh, just, uh, without taking the options, you know. It just that, wasn't a question. typical Jamie. No, I effort. uh the 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 Blues playoff question playoff games threw me on that. Holly did play Holly also made the playoffs every single year he played here. I just forgot about that. Yeah, I think right. you got to look at it's my like, bad. the how deep those teams went. So when you said, like, oh, you know, like Vladimir Tarasenko at first, I'm like, yeah, but those, they, they never really got out of no. the first round. Right. But that's why right. I went with prongs after, but then Holly played more years. It's my bad. It's all right. My Jamie, bad. we'll see you tomorrow, man. Maybe. I might just still be depressed over hey, this. We'll talk to you later, though. Yeah, we will. Yeah, I'm going to give you guys a uh, an update on everything going down at Enterprise. Here. That's right. Uh, yep. We're also going to get an update next with Alex Ferrario, who's right. at the Enterprise Center, and he's going to do our pregame show, of course, for the Blues and the Predators. So we'll check in with Alex next in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. In about an hour and a half or so, you'll hear the Blues and Predators pregame show starting uh, at 6 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Of course, we've got the game for you, the Blues Radio Network, and Alex Ferrario will host the pregame, as he always does. And Alex is live from Enterprise Center right now, Alex of uh, the BK and Ferrario show. Alex, you got us? I got you loud and clear, Stultz. What's going on, buddy? So what are the things that we need to know for this game specifically? Why don't we start off with line combinations for the Blues? 
All right, I like that. Well, first thing, if I can say this, Daltz, I'd like everybody to know that it's not my pregame show. It's our pregame show here on 101 ESPN. You know, Alex, I'm, I'm proud of you, kid. I'm proud of you. It's our pregame show because the work that all of us put in <laughs> goes into this pregame show tonight from 6 to 7 o'clock. Marsh, she's coachable. See? Nice job, Alex. I'm not as mean as everybody on the text line feels, but no, Stoltz. Uh, <laughs> the uh, line combination, so it's it's pretty much the exact same as what it was against the Ottawa Senators on Monday night, which d- doesn't surprise me, one, because of all of the injury situations, but two, uh, when Craig Bruby gets a victory and he likes what he sees, he sticks with it. So it, it, from my understanding, and he talked about this yesterday and earlier today, uh, Alexandrov is trending towards playing, but uh, Craig Bruby opted to give him an extra day uh, for whatever was nagging him from that uh, game against Ottawa so it'll be Nathan Walker on that fourth line with uh, Alexi Torpchenko and Tyler Pitlick but everything else stays the same the way that it ended against Ottawa because it started with Buchnevich, Thomas and Kairou, Saad, Shen, Barbashev but that game ended it was Saad, Thomas, Kairou, Buchnevich, Shen and Neighbors and that's what the top six is going to look like tonight as Barbashev plays with Achari and Levo. Alex, you, of course, watch every single game, and you watch it intently. When it comes to this game specifically, which line are you most intrigued to watch tonight? Honestly, it's Buchnevich, Shen, and Neighbors, mostly because of the way that Jake Neighbors has been trending over these last couple of games. I mean, when he came back from Springfield, you know, he got an opportunity on that third line playing with Nolachari and Josh Levo. I think he spent maybe a, a game or two on the fourth line, but it's just kind of trended north for him going back to that game against the Calgary Flames where he scored the goal with 20 seconds into the third period and tied it up. And then, of course, the uh, game that he had against Ottawa with a fight and the goal. I just like the way he's playing and the comments that Craig Bruby had to you guys yesterday, which was a great interview of him talking about how Jake plays, hearing Noah Chari talk about, you know, his fight that he stuck up for his teammates. He's a guy that he's a guy that I think is very crucial for this team in the next few seasons, mostly because you need players like that to step up into bigger roles for your team when it comes to your offense. And Jake Neighbors, to me, has been playing like a top six forward these last couple of games. So I want to see how he kind of meshes with Braden Shen and Pavel Buchnevich. Alex Ferrario is joining us live from Enterprise Center, where the Blues will host the Predators tonight. You can listen to it all right here on 101 ESPN, starting with the pregame show with Alex at 6 o'clock. Alex, best case scenario for this team the rest of the way. What what does that look like so that the Blues and let's just let's just simplify it and say they make the playoffs and we'll go beyond that. What's the best case scenario? In, in terms of, of like how, how this yeah how this looks yeah, like how, how this, this plays out. Mm-hmm. I, I think best case scenario for this Stoltz is you see progress with a lot of these players that you're relying on next season. I, I mean, look, playoffs are still a legit shot for this team and I know it seems all doom and gloom when it's a 500 record but nobody in the west runs away with it so you are within striking distance still of Minnesota but the problem is you have to pick up points but in terms of best case scenario it would be to make the playoffs but you're going to make it as a wild card team so a better case scenario if I could say it would be looking at guys like Brayden Shen looking at guys like Jake Neighbors like uh, Saad Thomas and Kairou as a line and looking at the defense you know what does Callie Rosen provide provide with these opportunities before players return how does the defensive core mix and match because I think now is more so of an evaluation period for Doug Armstrong to really find out what his team has 
with the uncertainty of unrestricted free agents like O'Reilly and Tarasenko, if you truly are passing this torch on to this next core of players, how do they compete for the rest of the season where you can taste the playoffs? How do they compete when you get closer to the trade deadline if Doug decides to make moves and trade away players that are respected in that locker room? How do they respond post-trade deadline in terms of competitiveness? Because that will tell you everything you need to know of that retool, rebuild conversation if it goes that direction. Alex, what, what ultimately is this team missing? Because we can have the conversation about what do you do with these upcoming free agents at the trade deadline. But ultimately, when you look at this team and the disconnect between where they are and where legitimate contenders are, what, what's the biggest thing this team is missing? I think the biggest thing this team is missing is consistency. And I think when you hear what Jake Neighbors told you guys a couple of days ago, talking about how it's just the mindset on the ice of competing and doing the right things, making the right plays and being smart about it, all of those factors I feel like is is what the difference between the competitive Blues team that we've seen and also the team that seems to just be – in uh, a big question mark on the ice because when they're playing the right way, they might not be getting the most shots on goal. They might not be playing the best defense you've seen in the National Hockey League, but if they're playing as a five-man unit, if all four lines are rolling the same direction, if you're getting the same commitment in front of the net and the defensive side, you know what this team is able to provide you. So I think what this team is missing is just that mindset that Jake Neighbors has, and that's why I think he's such a interest, intriguing piece the rest of the season because that mindset, you know, that atmosphere, that energy that he provides, sometimes that can leak into other players' games. So hopefully that's the case the rest of the way because if they can find that, if they can find that mindset that Jake Neighbors talks about of the 60-minute commitment to going to the front of the net, to putting shots on net, to putting the puck in the right spot, to being committed to the line mates that you have on the ice and off the ice, I think this team is a playoff team. But until that time, that's where we get this inconsistency all season long. But when you look at when you look big picture too, though, Alex, and you say, okay, not just going beyond this year, what what specifically? does this team lack that Doug Armstrong will have to address? Oh, it's defense. It's defense. Uh, and I don't know how you address that. BK and I talked about this today on the show, uh, and it was kind of the follow-up conversation to what you guys had uh, yesterday, talking about finding that number one defenseman. They've got guys that play like number one defensemen. Colton Pareko has done that really since Alex Petrangelo left. Last season, I thought Justin Falk was the clear-cut number one defenseman on this Blues team. This season, you've just got the inconsistency from that. You've had one guy play well for a certain stretch of games, another guy play well for a certain stretch of games, but you've never had it in between. I think what Doug Armstrong is going to be looking at is how can how can we reshape this defense into the competitiveness that we've had in the past because it's, it just has not looked that way this season. And some of that is due to injury. You know, Marco Scandella is a pretty impactful player, despite what some people believe, especially on the penalty kill that ranks 28th right now in the National Hockey League. I think there are a lot of expectations for Scott Perunovic to be a part of this this season. Um, but in terms of what your top four looks like, Doug Armstrong, I think, is going to be looking at how can we find a piece for that defense because it is not the way we expected it to be. Alex, great stuff. Appreciate you joining us down from Enterprise Center. We'll uh, we'll check back with you at 6 o'clock for the Blues Predators pregame show. Awesome, Stoltz. Appreciate it, buddy. Great chatting with you. Sounds good. Thanks, Alex. Uh, that's Alex Ferrario. You hear him weekday on BK and Ferrario and also hear him during the pre- 
the intermission and the post games for the Blues and the Blues Radio Network, and uh, Alex does tremendous work. We'll also check in with Jamie as he gets down there for Enterprise Center. He's got some TV work today. In fact, he's between the benches for Valley Sports Midwest. So Jamie Rivers, five fifteen. We'll we'll kind of get a uh, you know a check in with him as well. We're gonna play Nugget of Truth or Overreaction next, though. Certain statements we'll throw out. Is there some truth to them, or is it complete overreaction? Marsh and I will play that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Was that true? I think you're overreacting. No, 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 no. It's the truth. Overreaction or nugget of truth here in the fast line on 101 ESPN, like Marsh said in the Sports Center update. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not true. Or it's nothing like it. Any of the other segments we've done, something similar. All right, Marsh, overreaction, nugget of truth. All right, Anthony, this is the weekend. We see Brock Purdy look like Mr. Irrelevant, seen as how he hasn't faced a defense as good as Dallas. I heard this question asked to Bican Ferrario the other day, and I thought it was a great question by a listener. And if you look at Brock Purdy's games thus far, and as we know, the kid is undefeated thus far in his 49ers career. But he hasn't exactly faced a murderous row of defenses. He has faced Seattle twice, once in the playoffs last week, of course. The Arizona Cardinals, the Raiders, the Commanders, the Bucks the Dolphins, and the Chiefs. Those are the teams that that he has faced thus far. And I believe that that Chiefs game, he came in late, so we won't even count them. Will will this be the the game that he, the, you know, the uh, carriage turns back into a pumpkin? I don't think so. What I do expect, though, and I was surprised that we didn't see this last week, I do expect Kyle Shanahan to take a step back a little bit when it comes to putting the game in on Brock Purdy's shoulders. Even with Jimmy Garoppolo, somebody that has had certainly some veteran experience, it wasn't the Jimmy Garoppolo show in the playoffs when the Chiefs and the 49ers eventually squared off in the Super Bowl. It was the running game, it was the defense, and it was Jimmy Garoppolo, don't lose the game before we have a chance to win it. But last week... Brock Purdy came out throwing, and I thought he was a little nervous, and then Kyle Shanahan got him kind of settled down. I don't think that we're going to see as many attempts by Brock Purdy this week as as we have in, in recent games, Marsh, but I do not expect this kid to suddenly throw three interceptions and cost the 49ers. I think he, Kyle Shanahan's too good. I think the offense around, the surrounding weapons for him, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk is incredibly underrated George Kittle of course a tight end that Purdy has developed a great relationship with I think Kyle Shanahan is going to continue to put this kid in perfect spots and allow these guys to take over good defense besties face but I think it's an overreaction to say that he's suddenly going to be Mr. Irrelevant I I agree with you and this sort of goes back to the segment we had I believe it was last week before the super wildcard weekend which quarterback can play average and still get their team to the Super Bowl. I think he is 
sort of the the poster child for that. Not that he's been playing average by any means. I mean, he 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 had some decent numbers in that last game against the Seahawks. But it's how you win the game. It's right? how you win the game. I think you're absolutely correct. I think this the 49ers would be stupid to put the game in the hands of a rookie quarterback that was a third string quarterback that if you were told at the beginning of the year this guy would be your quarterback at the end of the season you'd be like oh my goodness and what happened we are not in the playoffs give the ball to the guys that you brought in for a reason cmc you got debo that guy you could throw a three-yard pass to that guy and he'll take it 70 yards he's incredible brandon Ayuk, george kittle those are the guys that you should be, be relying on and make things simple for brock purdy i agree with you um Dallas is a good defense. They obviously they gave Tom Brady a ton of a ton of uh, chaos, a bunch of chaos, you know, mm-hmm. last week. Uh, but I, I personally, I think it's gonna be a low-scoring game. That's that's well, just my opinion. One thing to think about too: Kyle Shanahan and Dan Quinn know each other. Kyle Shanahan was Dan Quinn's offense coordinator for two years in Atlanta, right? When they went to the Super Bowl, so. There's going to be a lot of things that Kyle knows that Dan likes to do with his defense. Some things I think Dan Dan Quinn developed when he got to Dallas. He had better personnel in Dallas. And I think Dan Quinn realized that he can't continue to run cover three like he did with Pete Carroll as uh, his defensive coordinator in Seattle all those years. It's just cover three, cover three, cover three. It was such an outdated system or outdated scheme, but he kept running in Atlanta. So he gets to Dallas and he starts to become more multiple. What I mean by that, he starts varying up the coverages a lot more. So that's going to be a little different for Shanahan. But I also think that Shanahan is so good and so creative, especially with that running game, that he's going to have Dan Quinn's defense on its on its heels a little bit. All right, Anthony, nugget of truth or overreaction. The Bills should be more concerned about their sloppy play in the wild card round than the Bengals should be about their O-line. I think that's a nugget of truth. And that's not to say that the Bengals should be like, ah, no problem, you know, flipping about their offensive line. Their offensive line is a serious issue. I said this yesterday. If there's a tangible problem or a cha- tangible question heading into the divisional round of among all the teams, it's how will Cincinnati's offensive line hold up? But when it comes to the concerning factor, there is plenty of truth to the Bills being sloppy and looking, in Josh Allen's case, like Josh Allen did in 2019 a little bit. When, you know, if he, they go down to Houston, they're, they're facing the Texans in that wild card round, and he takes a sack for like minus 26 yards because he's trying to do too much. That's what I'm seeing the, thus far out of Josh Allen. He gets in the red zone, and then the turnovers happen because he's trying to, he's a great player trying to make these great plays as opposed to just allowing the game to come to him like he did a year ago and just kind of playing his game. So I think it's a major concern for the Bills. I think you can run on this team. I think that the loss of Von Miller hurts them big time. Matt Milano is a really great player, and he's kind of the underrated aspect of that Bills defense. But again, I think you can run on him. And even though Cincinnati's got offensive line issues, not having Von Miller in that that pass rush, I think is going to be problematic for Buffalo. So I think it's a nugget of truth. I really hope this game is the Bills-Chiefs game that we got last year. It might, it might be. I, I hope, think it's like going to be fun. Entertainment value. I can see that. I really hope it is. All right. The next one, speaking of the Chiefs, the Chiefs are more likely to lose before reaching the Super Bowl than the Eagles. I'm such a big believer in the 49ers this season that I'm going to say overreaction on that. This kind of goes back to that 
little blurb of, that Stephen, Stephen A. Smith said yep. last last week. You're right. The thing about the Chiefs, yes, the Bills have had their number. And yes, the Bengals have had their number. So assuming the Chiefs get, get past the Jaguars, they're going to face a team in Atlanta that has had their number. But we just got done talking about the issues that Cincinnati and Buffalo have heading into this weekend. I think they're real problems that will eventually cost them. It's going to cost one of these teams this weekend, and I think the other one's going to get. It's going to cost the other team in the AFC Championship game, whether it's Cincinnati's offensive line issues or Buffalo's just overall sloppy play. So I think Kansas City reaches the Eagles. I think. I don't know how competitive. I know it's Giants and Eagles. It's a divisional game. It is difficult to beat a team three state three straight times, but. People are kind of focused on week 18 and the Giants playing their backups and nearly beating the Eagles and overlooking the fact that Philadelphia absolutely routed them in East Rutherford earlier or in uh yeah, it was in East Rutherford earlier this year. I think the rest did will do the Eagles wonders, but I have I have a hard time with the Eagles advancing past the 49ers. I think it's tough, like you look at these two teams. And they could be bounced for multiple different reasons on different sides of the bracket, right? right? Like, it's not because both teams share the same common flaws. Right. It's, it's something completely different. So it's like, do I want to pick this one or do I want to pick this one? Yeah, like the Chiefs de- defensively don't stack up with Philadelphia's defense. Right. But Patrick Mahomes has been there, done that. Right, exactly. And we're still waiting for Jalen Hurts, and maybe this is the year that he wins multiple playoff games and he gets in. I mean, he was in the playoffs last year. It didn't look sure. good, but that was his first try. And then you want to compare the Bills slash Bengals to the 49ers slash Cowboys. It's like, okay, how do those teams stack up against the respected teams in that right. conference? It's like, man, this is tough. It's a good point because what's the 49 What's the biggest question with the 49ers? They're undrafted, or they're, they're Mr. Irrelevant quarterback who's undefeated thus far. He's right. lost, and he's looked great. So that's like their biggest problem, or biggest question, whereas Cincinnati and Buffalo's question marks are a little bit uh, more pronounced. All right, last one. The Bills are under the most pressure to win this weekend. I say yes. I think you that's think a nugget so? of truth. Yes. Let's look, at the, let's look at the teams real quick. Jacksonville and the Giants are playing with house money. Yeah. Dallas has a little less pressure now that they they won last week. That was the game that Dallas has been losing. I still think there's a ton of pressure just because of the organization and how do you quantify that compared to other teams, right? Because it's of the, na- the national perspective. It's different in Dallas, I'll give you that. For sure. Still an underdog. Cincinnati is an underdog as well, and they just went to the Super Bowl when nobody expected them to, and they came right back, ran it back, Won the division, beat the Ravens. Good team. They're also playing in Buffalo. So I'm going to cross off Jacksonville, the Giants, Cincinnati, and Dallas. The Chiefs, back-to-back Super Bowls, went to the AFC title game last year. Like, th- this is just the expectation now the Chiefs are going to be in it. The Eagles is the number one seed. You can make an argument. 49ers are playing a third-string quarterback. And to some degree, even though they've become kind of the chick, the uh, chick pick, they're they're still a team that is playing again with with Mr. Relevant. Buffalo came into the year yeah. as a Super Bowl contender. Buffalo and Josh Allen came into the year with the expectations that they learned from a year ago and were going to be the team that everybody was kind of gunning for. So I think Buffalo, if you were to lose a home game against a Cincinnati team that's starting 
you know, some uh, three backups along their offensive line. I think that one's going to be tough. And then the questions start with Allen and the questions start with Sean McDermott. Not that those guys are in any danger of losing jobs or anything, but that those expectations and those questions start to mount. So I'm going to go with Buffalo. I think that's a nugget of truth as well. I would almost say that Josh Allen is more under pressure than, than the bills as a whole. Yeah. Just because like you look at their defense Compared to where it was at the beginning of the year, they've lost some guys. Off a little bit. It has, it has. So, like, when do you reset those expectations? For me, I, I think I reset them with a few games left in the playoffs. Or, I'm sorry, in the regular season, when you start to see what this team could look like in the playoffs. So, my, my expectation for this team is obviously not what it was at the beginning of the year. However... Right. Josh Allen's expectations to be that quarterback is still there compared to Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen. We'll just stick with the AFC guys. It's those, it's those three, right? It's that trio of, of quarterbacks. The other two have done it. He hasn't, Mm -hmm. he hasn't done it yet. So at least got to the Super Bowl. That's interesting. Um, So that, that I, I completely agree with you. That's Andrew Marsh. I'm Anthony Stalter. It's the Fast Lane on 101 at ESPN. We got the Sports Six back coming up next. You got a question? 314-399-9646. We'll uh, we'll do it here in the Fast Lane next. We're right back to the Fast Lane podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Fast Lane to answer your sports questions. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. Answer the question. Answer the question. Asking me all these weird questions. Answer me! The Sports Six Pack is refreshed by Schlafly Beer, the original St. Louis craft brewery. Time for the Sports Six Pack, 314-399-9646. That's the Air Comfort Service text line. We also have the mic drops available. We need a question for the biggest question of the day. This is something that you can ask that's a little bit outside of the box. It's not necessarily something that must be, you know, a a topic or topical for that day. could be anything, and it could be sports or, uh, you know, something else. About life, Anthony. About life, absolutely. So, Marsh, let's, let's let's get to our Sports Six Pack. Question number one. All right, Anthony, you've been high on the 49ers this postseason. From the 480, Anthony, I want you to describe how Dallas will beat the Niners this weekend and what will that game look like and what would the major factors for the Cowboys have to be in order for them to win? So a little bit of a reverse engineer, so to speak. I like this. First and foremost, let's highlight Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard is the Cowboys' best offensive weapon nothing against our guy our hometown kid Zeke he still has a significant role in this offense Dak Prescott is coming off his best game so nothing against him or C.D. Lamb or Michael Gallup or Dalton Schultz who has come on over the last you know second half of the season he's one of the better tight ends now Tony Pollard is the difference maker in that offense from a passing standpoint and you get him on some of these outside zone runs and all of a sudden, you go from, you know, first and 10 to second and two. You want to be good on third down, be good on first down. You want to be terrible on third down, be terrible on first down. Tony Pollard is the difference maker there. So I think he becomes more of a focal point, And we kind of saw that in Tampa. Zeke, Zeke got some carries, but it was it was different. And he they, they gave him the ball at the goal line and all that. But I think it starts with Tony Pollard. And, and his his uh, ability to, to impact both the running and the passing game. Then it goes to Dak Prescott doing exactly what he did on, on Monday night. 
I thought he played one of his better games. It took him to a series or two, but the way that he was extending plays, the way that he was hanging in the pocket, uh, his you know the touchdown pass, the first one to Dalton Schultz, Schultz was basically all improvised. I loved it. Offense or defensively, if you're going to face a Kyle Shanahan offense and have success, you have to take away the outside zone. I'll simplify it. It becomes a linebacker and hold the edge defense. If you can eliminate that outside zone, it eliminates the play action for Brock Purdy and his ability to to, to complete easy passes. I mean, it's not. It's the NFL. Nothing's easy. Easy for a, for an NFL quarterback to attack the middle. But you have to take away those outside runs. If you can establish the edge and force Brock Purdy to to get in a pure passing game, you're behind. You're in the third quarter. You're entering the fourth, and you're behind, and you're for, for, you're forcing Brock Purdy to throw. Well, we haven't seen what that looks like, have we? So I think that's that's it. Highlight Tony Pollard. Dak plays as well as he did Monday. Establish the edge. And take away the outside zone, force Brock Purdy into a passing game. True passing game. Question number two. From the 314, is the 06 Wayno World Series clinching strikeout or the all-time battery record a more memorable moment for Cardinals baseball? Which one would you go with? It's got to be the 06 strikeout of Beltron. Right. Oh, so you're going with the Beltron? I'm going. Go, oh, not the oh, Brandon oh, Inge one. Boy, when I think of Wainwright, I'm, I'm See, thinking I, that I Snapdragon, that that twelve to six to to Beltran. Obviously, the Brandon Inge one is the World you Series the World clinching Series. Right. one, but yeah, the Beltron one because think of that game. Man, the bases loaded. Think of that game. That moment. Great. Shea Stadium. Just, I mean, you hear from our guys, Brad Thompson. And uh, our fallen friend Chris Duncan, uh, one of one of my best friends in the world, talk about the the way that the stadium shook that entire series, and how I think it was that series. Dunk was talking about stepping into the box, Marsh, and he needed to qu- call a quick timeout because his legs were shaking because he was like the moment the adrenaline was kicking in so much. I don't. I I think I gotta go with that with the way that those players speak about that moment, and the way the fans can reminisce about. Wayno striking out Beltran. I, I'm, I'll go there. I'm probably in the wrong, but I'm going to go there. I think if you're comparing just what the texter put out there, the the clinching strikeout or the the battery record, I think, I think when you look back 20 years, whatever, I mean, it's still going to be the World Series. You obviously won the World Series. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, the record is pretty cool, but I think it's just cool to Cardinal fans. Yeah, and like really. It, it, like baseball nuts sure you know what i'm saying like yeah you know that, that kind of symbolizes what this this past decade for sure. cardinals baseball decade plus of uh cardinals baseball for sure for sure um can't go yeah. wrong as it pertains to wayno though mm-hmm. i think i think you might be right anthony that was a <laughs> diabolical curveball uh let's carry <laughs> let's carry this over we only did two we we shortened this thing so we'll talk more cardinals and blues and nfl we'll continue the sports six back next on 101 espn we're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I have a question. It's time for the Fast Lane to answer your sports questions. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. Answer the question. Answer the question. Asking me all these weird questions. Answer me! The 
Utah Sports Six Pack is refreshed by Schlafly Beer, the original St. Louis craft brewery. All right, so we're just going to carry this sports six-pack right over. We only got to two questions. I got blabbing about, you know, how the Cowboys could beat the 49ers. Then we got reminiscent about some Cardinal stuff. So, 503, your time check is brought to you by Collection Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Andrew Marsh. I'm Anthony Stalter. Jamie Rivers coming up at 515. We'll get a, another look at this Blues-Predators matchup with Jamie as he's down for uh, he's down at Enterprise Center. Uh, but we continue our sports six-pack now. Question number three. Captain Stalter, I notice sometimes when you are wrestling to open up a can of whoop ass, as you like to say, you seem to be sweating profusely. <laughs> I was wondering if perhaps you might need the services of, of an experienced water boy. Uh, for those that missed our conversation earlier, Jamie and I broke down a very compelling documentary uh, about a water boy from the South who went through a lot of trials and tribulations. Uh, grew up with uh, with a father who abandoned him and a mother that um, was very loving but overprotective and uh, not, how do I put this, not very bright. He had a lover that was in jail? At one point, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and just kind of watching him ov- overcome a lot of the issues that he had, Marsh. It's inspiring. Uh, but to be discovered by really a down-and-out coach that had lost his way too. I, mm. I just think that there's so much to learn from that documentary mm-hmm. and they, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but uh, you know, it's a very inspiring halftime quote in which he says, you know, remember when I showed up for everybody. Yeah. And Bud dogs won the bourbon bowl. Do you? It's just a, a wild story. That's, you know, obviously based on true events. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, just like an inspiring documentary. Best doc- I, I don't want to put put you on the spot, but best documentary of all time. Uh, it's up there, yeah, for sure. I agree. It's definitely up there. Um, but yeah, Anthony. Um, clearly, the text line wants to know. Always, you, if you yeah. need water, uh, it's simply enough. Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, cool. Jamie you- and I. I don't know why we don't have have uh, you know hydration experts mm-hmm. in here. Yeah pretty much every segment but uh it's something we'll talk to management and we'll consider you we'll we'll pull your your number make sure that we uh we notify you if we do thanks question number four from the 314 if the bills lose this weekend can you see them blowing up the roster a little bit i don't think they're gonna blow up the roster because you're close and i wouldn't i think when teams operate as if they're one player away or they operate in that, oh, well, we can't get over the hump uh, in multiple playoffs, then let's kind of blow it up. I, I think that's the wrong approach. Just keep building. There is, as much as it drives Cardinals fans crazy, there is an element to, hey, it's the postseason. Nobody expected the Bengals to get to the Super Bowl last year. The Rams shouldn't have been there. When you think about Jarquiski Tart dropping the interception in the NFC championship game. There's there's elements to these games in the playoffs that, you know, the best team doesn't always win. The best roster doesn't always win. No, absolutely not. Do not blow it up. Continue to build. I think that James Cook becoming more of 
a focal point of that offense and that running game. I think that is vital. I was talking to our guy, Donnie Fandango from The Point, massive Bills fan, passionate as, as ever. I thought he brought up a good point that the Bills could benefit from having a young slot receiver and continue to build that defense. But you got the right coaching. You obviously have a franchise quarterback. You've got a, a couple of dynamic pieces, guys like Stefan Diggs. I, I would not blow it up, no. Question number five. From the 480, which Cardinals pitcher who is currently slated for the bullpen will emerge as a spot starter? Well, I think if it, if John Mozalock's answering this question, it's obviously Homer Hagen. Mm. But if I'm answering it, I say Andre Pallante because he was kind of close to that last year. Didn't he get a taste? He did. He got a couple of starts or, or at least one. But that was that he became he emerged as your your long man. He's somebody that could come in in a situation where the starter has a rough one and he can eat three or four innings for you. So I think Palante winds up getting a shot at some point for whatever reason. They still have, you know, some amount of faith that Verhagen was just injured last year and he could still be somebody that could be a spot starter for you. I'll tell you what what we should be hoping for, though major and I'm not counting on it I think last year really spoke to who he is and it's unfortunate but if we're Cardinals fans hoping for a certain scenario it's Matthew Libertor taking Mm. significant steps in his development and becoming a guy that could be earmarked for the rotation uh, a year from now not next season but a year from now if not it's just well I don't have to tell any Cardinals fan about that Randy Rosarina trade now that looks then yeah, Matthew Libertor right now on MLB.com's top 100 prospects sits at number 80. And that's right behind uh, Gordon Graceffo. So it makes you wonder, like... So at least some in the industry are still feeling as though that... the still, the, yeah. the, You know, but I wonder how much we're... Let me ask you this. So the the idea of a, a left-hander and one at one point was viewed as the top left-handed prospect in baseball why do the Rays give him up this is a really smart organization in Tampa and they didn't give him up initially what we thought for Randy Rosarino that was the Jose Martinez trade right so they really gave up one of the top left-handed pitching prospects in all of baseball for a guy that was going to be purely a DH and obviously didn't last there long why? What, what did they see that allowed them to say, you know what, we're fine giving him up? I hate to say it that way because I, I was hoping that, all right, Matthew Libertor, okay, you got, hey, look, yeah, you gave up Randy Rosarino, but you're going to have a, a left-hander that's maybe anchoring your rotation at some point. It don't look that good. You make a good, you make a good point because I feel like that organization, if any organization knows how to evaluate pitching, because they have to. Bingo. They have to. That's their model. You know, model being the the uh, the theme, the running theme throughout the week. Mm-hmm. That's their model is to bring in talent that, and like you said, maybe some other teams don't value as much. Right. Well, the same thing goes on the other end. When you're getting rid of talent, like you said, wh- what does that mean? Either through trades, their own draft picks, or international signings. This is the same organization that – at one point had Blake Snell and Jamison Tyon and uh, Chris Archer before he really fell off. I'm sure there's some other ones. Uh, James Shields. I mean, these. this is an organization that really knows what it's doing from a scouting standpoint, and they were fine 
giving you Matthew Lubertor in that deal for Jose Martinez and Randy Rosarina. The 314 says the lack of minor league season in 2020 really stalled out Libertor. I think that applies to many athletes in many different sports, especially baseball. When you did not have that minor league season, I, I do not discount what that texture said. I think he or she is absolutely right. I'm still concerned that Matthew Libertor, you know, doesn't wind up being what we all thought or hoped he was going to be. But it's a great point nonetheless. Question number six. Well, we've been talking about sports documentaries mm-hmm. all day long, Anthony. Yeah. From the 636, what's your favorite sports movie, though? Well, of course, it's the program. <laughs> I mean, we we're talking about sports movies that really hit home. What's not to like about the program? I know we get a texture every once in a while. The program's terrible, terrible movie. The program sucks. I implore you to go back and watch the program. You know, there was a time that Marsh, Marsh never even heard of the program. I bought that thing on YouTube, Anthony. He bought it on YouTube, and he was live texting us while watching it. And he said, this changed my life. Who's your favorite character, Marsh? Tell the people. Mm. Was it Alvin Mack, the middle linebacker? Was it Joe Kane, the talented quarterback that had all the pressure in the world? Probably an alcoholic, too. Was uh, it uh, Darnell Jefferson, the talented freshman that was battling with Ray Griffin for the starting tailback job? Who was your guy? I think it was Darnell. You Darnell kinda, Jefferson? Yeah, you, sure. you, you see him at the beginning of the movie. He's kind of like the guy that leads you into what the movie's going to be about. Mm-hmm. He's kind of our protagonist throughout sure. the entire time. Uh, but uh, old Joe, he just made some decisions. I was just like, what are you doing, man? Well, obviously, a lot impacted Joe Kane and his decision-making yeah. that uh, went back well before he quarterbacked the ECU Wolves. It's a great movie, though. It's a great movie. Absolutely. I don't know what yeah. my favorite one is. Probably Miracle. That's pretty good, too. Even though Jamie said it was unrealistic. Unrealistic. <laughs> yeah, if you, for those who missed it, uh, Jamie Rivers <laughs> said a miracle unrealistic. And you know what? I believe him. Jamie Rivers, speaking of him, he's next. He's going to be at Enterprise tonight in between the benches, between the Blues and the Predators. And he's going to join us uh, with an update next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You can listen to Jamie Rivers weekdays in the fast lane, 2 to 6 on 101 ESPN. And Jamie Rivers joins us right now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line as he's getting ready for Blues and Predators. He's going to be between the benches, between uh, or between the benches for Bally Sports Midwest. Jamie, how's the ice? Uh, Anthony, it's great. I'm standing about a foot and a half away from the ice. I'm down on the Blues bench right now. Um, you know, starting to break a sweat down here, looking uh, looking like it's ready to go here. Who looks great right now in uh, pregame skate? Uh, well, they're not on the ice yet. Anthony. Son of a... Um, when do they get yeah, on the ice? No. We're at a game well, in a less than two hours. 
Yeah, it's a little early, but the guys are here. They're warming up. They're getting ready to go. Uh, there's always a certain energy in the building when you got a Preds-Blues matchup. Obviously, we know that over the years, uh, the Blackhawks have always been the big rival, but in recent years, the Preds are a big rivalry. And so it's fun. You see the guys are dialed in, and the people around the building are dialed in. The Preds are a pretty good team, too. You know, they're having a bit of a year like the Blues, where they're up and down and all around, but they're, they find themselves what one-point difference between the two teams. So I think it's going to be a heck of a matchup. I asked this of Alex Ferrari earlier. I'm interested of your, in your thoughts too, Jamie. What's the line that you're most interested in watching tonight? Oh, for me, absolutely hands down, Shen, Neighbors, and Buchnevich. I just, you know, Braden Shen's a guy, you talked about these rivalry games. Braden Shen's a guy who elevates his game, both from a uh, puck handling and scoring opportunity to the physicality that these you know, these types of games bring out of Braden Shen. And now he's got, he's got a wingman. He's got Jake Neighbors, who's been elevated in the lineup. He's gone from the third line to the second line. And you got Big Bucci there on the right wing. We know he possesses the puck real well. He's going to create scoring opportunities for those guys. I'm anxious to watch it in the offensive zone. I really am. I think that these guys are going to be fun to watch. I think they're going to bring a physicality to the game. Uh, so that's the one. that's the line I've got my eye on. Jamie, when you look at this defense, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the Predators and Blues stylistically are similar. So what do you think is going to be most important for this Blues defense tonight? Well, for the defense, uh, look, at keeping the game in front of them. And what I mean by that is don't let guys get in behind you. We've seen that a lot this year where uh, the opposition gets a guy behind and then it's a backdoor tap-in goal or somebody slides in behind and they give up a great opportunity where they turn their back to the play and then uh, one of the opposing players jumps out into the slot area, gets a great A chance. So for me, if I'm the defenseman, is keeping the play in front of me and good gaps. Don't give these guys any time and space. You know, you got Johansson, you got Duchesne, you got Forsberg. you got these guys who thrive on time and space. Well, take it away from them. Get up, gap up, get physical. Uh, be in their face. So for me, that's the biggest thing for the defense tonight. Jamie Rivers joining us right now from Enterprise Center. He's going to be between the benches for Bally Sports Midwest as the uh, Blues and the Preds go at it at 7 o'clock. Jamie, the other elements here surrounding the Blues, of course, revolve around the injuries. From being down at Enterprise Center, what can you tell us about these some of these Blues players potentially turn, returning from injury and when? Well, the buzz right now is that Vladimir Tarasenko is farther along than anybody expected. He, you know, he's joined the team for practice here the last handful of days. Um, could be back at any time. I don't think it'll be. Obviously, it's not going to be tonight. I don't think it'll be this weekend. But I wouldn't rule it out that he's back next week. Maybe the Buffalo game. Nobody has told me that directly but just kind of evaluating the situation and kind of poking around a little bit i feel like that he can make his return against the sabers and, and certainly he'll make a return you know during this homestand and you know, that'll be a boost for this team it'll be a good boost to get a guy back in the lineup that was your leading scorer last year uh he's a dynamic player he certainly will help your power play so, uh, the blues are anxiously awaiting the return of vladimir tirasenko Jamie, when you look at the contenders right now in the we'll just we'll just isolate the Western Conference. When you look at those contenders and you compare it to the Blues and their play, 
What's the thing that's pretty much what's the what's the biggest thing that's lacking right now? Well, consistency, right? Stringing some games together. I think that's the biggest thing right now, and I don't think that's a big surprise for anybody to hear that. Anybody who's watched the Blues play this year, uh, the beginning of the season tells everything. Where they start off pretty good, three games in a row, then they lose eight, and win seven, and it's just been the the way it's tr- the it's been trending. It's just been too much of you know up and down, up and down. And recently, it's win one, lose one, win one, lose two. They've got to string some games together. They got to put together a couple of you know four or five game winning streaks here, because other teams are winning. They're getting points in the, in the conference and in the division. And the only way you're going to make up ground on some of these is by putting big streaks together. We saw it in the 2019 season. That's one of the biggest reasons the Blues were able to put themselves into a really good spot is they put that historical run together, and it was at 11 games in a row that they won. I, I don't expect to see that, and nor do I you know, think that that's a must to win 11 games in a row. Sure, it would be nice, but I don't think that you, know, you sit here waiting for that. But it would be nice to you know, maybe win four or five in a row. Okay, so you drop a game or two, and then you win four and five in a row again. For me, the points have to come in bunches for the Blues to start climbing over some of these people, never mind in their conference, but certainly in the division. So besides consistency, what has what is preventing them from going on a run like we saw in 2019? I mean, during the, regu- during the regular season, of course. Not, I'm not talking about the postseason. Well, the offense, you know, at times has dried up for the Blues. And the, bat- the worst combination ever is when the offense dries up and then you're giving up grade A scoring chances, or you're giving up too many goals against. And, you know, that's a recipe for disasters, just like any sport. If you're not scoring and you're not defending, that's a bad recipe. And so for me, you know, the Blues, they played a, a tight defensive game the other night against the Ottawa Senators. We were just talking about it down here, John Kelly and I, just that that was, you know, for a change, it was like a low-scoring game that the Blues won. And they didn't have to put up three, four, or five goals in order to be competitive in the game. So I think the tighter the Blues can play defensively, uh, the better it is for them. They're not going to get in some track meets with some of these teams uh, around the league, let alone the Western Conference, where they've got three, four, five guys that are potentially point-of-game guys or let alone you know 90 to 100-point guys. So lock it down defensively, especially right now with O'Reilly and Tarasenko out of the lineup. You know, Hopefully you start to get some of your horses back here and then you can open it up a little bit more. Right now, this team, to be successful, has got to lock it down and look to capitalize upon mistakes. Jamie, great stuff. Looking forward to seeing you on, t- on TV tonight. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate right. it. That's Jay. That's our, that's our pal, power pal. I combined pal and buddy there, Marsh. Uh, that's our guy, Jamie Rivers, here in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Blues and Predators tonight. Pre-game starting at 6 o'clock. You'll hear from Alex Ferrario and – uh, Chris Kerber and our guy also Joey Vitale and then tonight we'll have the coverage for you on the Blues Radio Network. We'll have a complete breakdown too for tomorrow uh, with Jamie back. He's full time 2-6. to six. we got the big question of the day coming up next in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for the big-
big question of the day. This is where you can text, or we we prefer mic drops, but sometimes they don't uh, they don't come in as quickly as we tease them. So uh, today it is a mic drop, but big question of the day can be outside of the box, can be sports related, can be semi sports related, could be non sports related. But we love kind of having those those different questions that we don't typically we're not typically asked about. So without further ado, here's Lauren who left us a mic drop about. Uh, her big question of the day. My question for the biggest question of the day is if you guys could pick your top three sports moments, all sports, doesn't matter, through your lifetime that you got to witness live that you think impacted your love for sports the most, what would they be? If you can't think of three, that's fine, but I'll give you three chances, three things to pick. You guys are great. That's a, that's a great question, Marsh. I hate to alter it, but I, I'm going to alter it just a little bit. So are you not going in the actual arena or stadium? You're just saying live as in I watched it on no, TV. I will give you I was in the stadium, but none of these were from my childhood and they didn't necessarily impact my love of sports. Okay, so mine are the same. Okay. It, it had nothing to do with yeah. my child. One of them I was a child, but... The other two, I was an adult. Uh, well, not an adult. I was, you know. You're a teenager or something. A, I was in my early 20s. I want to consider myself an adult at that <laughs> Fair point. Fair enough. I don't know if I'm even at that point right it, now, Anthony. But. Lauren, it's a, it's a great question. But I would say my love of sports, I, I think those moments came from, you know, like my dad taking me to watch uh, Bulls games during the Jordan era. There wasn't a specific game. Right. You know, I, was, I remember... I've always remembered, and the, the coolest thing I still do this now as, as an adult is especially when you go to a baseball game and you're walking in the concourse, I always thought that was the coolest thing as a kid when you just got the, you know, when the, the field would appear. You know, so you got like concession stand, bathroom, the field would appear. And I would right. look real quick and we'd still be walking, but I'm like, oh, there it is. Yeah. So that those are the moments I remember from like my childhood, but I, I, there weren't these aren't games that I was live at that would impact me. Right. So I'll give you I'll give you one that is unfortunate here in St. Louis because it's very surreal. But the final game at the Dome for the Rams. We did, okay. Randy and I did the pregame show. I, I was also at that point doing the, during the halftime show. And to, to go to that game it was a thursday night game between the rams and the bucks and it was the ketchup and mustard game because oh. the, the rams were in all yellow yep. the bucks were in all red we called it the ketchup and mustard game the last home game for the rams at the dome you went you i remember driving up to the stadium and it was just this kind of eerie feeling because you don't know at the you point you don't know you have an idea it's like ah, it's probably going to happen exactly and i remember that that game where the pregame show for the NFL Network, I believe Marshall was on that, still still doing like the pregame show for the NFL Network, and maybe even Kurt, or Kurt was doing uh, the radio broadcast, whatever. The national radio broadcast, I should say. But ha- just that eerie feeling of, am I watching the last game at the Dome? And of mm-hmm. course, you know, you, you were. But I was at that that game live, and we were covering him for the Rams. But that one that one sucked. But at least they won. You right. know, it was a pretty good game. So that was that was one of the games that I picked. The other game that I chose for memorable that I was live at 
when I was working in Detroit for WDFN, it's my first radio job, I was the on-site producer okay. for the Pistons games. So what I would do is I would go, I'd watch the game, you know, in media row, and then afterwards, because we had the broadcast rights for the station I was working at, we'd set up a little live broadcast in one of the concourses, and I was the producer for those shows. Well, one night, they were taking on the Indiana Pacers. Stop it. You were not at that game. This is the Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, Rip Hamilton, that Pistons, the, the, the team that won a championship Pistons. The Pacers come to town. And I'm on one side. I was on the other side of Media Row. And all of a sudden, there's a bit of a melee, and Ron Artest goes into the crowd. You were at that game? I was at the Malice at the Palace that no night. No way. Yes. And everybody asked me, like, well, what was it like? I was on the opposite side. Yeah. And it was nothing but confusion. And, like, is this, from our standpoint, it's like, is this really, ha- like, is this really happening? They're going into the, and I just remember saying, I just remember thinking, like, oh, well, they're going to, they're going to get those players. Like, somebody's going to go get those players out. Yeah. And they'll get back on the court. And like that, it just seemed very quick. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, no, this is, this is a huge issue. And now fans are pouring on to the court. And I worked my way eventually. I ran into, uh, was that the game? It was Jermaine O'Neal. I, like, ran into him at one point going through the tunnel. But I quickly, like, just pivoted and got to the media room. Because the media room was in the same tunnel as as you as you exited yeah. the, the court, and the locker rooms were right there. It was an absolute chaos. I wish I could remember every single moment, every single thought, but the moment was so frantic that you really didn't know what was going on. Right. Like I could see Ron Artest go in. I could see uh, who's the other player. Was it? Was it? Um, oh, I can see his so face. So you have Jermaine O'Neal. You have uh, it was Jermaine O'Neal, Ron Artest. You have a. Uh, Steve, uh, Steve, uh, he, he played for the Spurs. Yes. Jackson. Just, yeah. Steven Jackson. Steven Jackson. Thank you. Yes. Steven Jackson. So Steven Jackson as well. But yeah, it was, it was absolutely insane. And when the, when the fans started going onto the court, that was when I thought it really got kind of crazy. You're like, oh, uh, this is not, this is not, the game's not going to be resumed here. So I hauled, I hauled out of there and I kind of ran into Jermaine O'Neal. That's wild. It was insane. That's what started your love for the game of basketball. No, just uh, <laughs> a moment. And then uh, real quick, because I march, I wanna, I'm, I'm really looking to, to, forward to hear yours. Yeah. I've told the story, so sorry if it's, it's, if it's a repeat, but same, same situation. I'm living in Detroit. I'm working for Detroit Radio. Uh, my buddy, John, from my hometown, who, who was a Michigan fan growing up, and I was kind of a Michigan fan growing up too, he, he called me and said, hey, I want to go to a Michigan game this year. I said, Absolutely. Let's let's do it. Uh, who do you want to see? You know, because I had my buddy was his dad was the offensive coordinator, so I was pretty good with tickets and all that. I'm like, hey, who do you want to see, man? You want to see Penn State? You want to see? And I don't know if I can get you Ohio State. I don't even know if they're playing in Ann Arbor. Right. He goes, no, no, no. I don't even care about a conference game. I want to experience a tailgate. I want to experience a big house. I want to see my boys win. All right. Well, we didn't. Whatever the opening game is, I'm like, really, dude? This ain't gonna be a game. Oh, I remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is a good one. So we take our seats. We realize we're in the the. I, I got us tickets, but I got us tickets uh, in like the parent section of the opposing team. And we're talking to these parents, and I'm like, man, it's gonna be kind of a rough day for you guys. And I'm like, hey, listen, it's just great, you know, to be here, and it's gonna be fun, and we got a good team, and you know, I think we'll. Michigan was rated ranked like number fi- like number five in the nation, right? 
It was App State. <laughs> I sat in the App State ga- uh, parents section the day that Michigan lost to App State. And I realized we've had some unbelievable upsets in sports and unbelievable upsets in college football. But that was kind of the beginning of it. That was a big one. That was the big one at the big house. And it was an unbelievable game, too. Like, they blocked a field goal and returned it for a touchdown, returned it in the five, if I remember correctly. But being there in the fan se- in the parents section, and these, these parents, like, you could tell, they were white-knuckling Every like the whole game, they go in with no expectations. expectations. Just like, hey, we're having, we're we're here to have a fun time. They're laughing with us, like you're for sure. But but I remember one of the dads was like, you know, we've got some athletes, right, dude? "Ah, Whatever. I was at the App State game. My buddy didn't see a win that day, but he saw one of the most historic upsets in college football history. Marsh, go for it. What's your three? Um, there's been a few games that that I've been to that really stick out but i'm gonna go with the ones with the more positive um you know memories i guess uh i'll go with uh 2006 we were talking earlier about wainwright striking out um brandon inge i was actually at that game you're at the world series game game. game clincher and the The series clincher yes the only reason why and maybe some listeners can remember this if they also were in the same situation i actually had tickets to game four however there was a rain out uh they ended up switching the tickets. The people who were supposed to go to game five went to game four instead. And wow. people that went to game four ended up going to game five. So on my ticket stub, it says game four of the World Series. However, I sat in my seats for game five. They ended up winning the the entire thing. Uh, so that was really cool because two years before that, I went to game four of the Red Sox oh, when no. they clinched. Yeah. So I saw two clinchers, however... This one was a little bit better than the other one. I would say one. so, yeah. Uh, and you're young, right? I mean, you're, you're probably, what, 10, 12? I was about 10 years old at the time. Okay. So that was really what cool. What a moment. Um, and then I'll just go in chronological order. Uh, 2016, I drove all the way from Grand Forks, North Dakota, to Tampa Bay for the Frozen Four. Okay. Um, North Dakota at the time, they had a dry spell in uh, Frozen Fours, like the you know, TJ Oshie, all these great players coming through. Jonathan Tays never could get the job done. They hadn't won since like 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and the year that I went, they had a lead over Denver, and they they blew the lead. And everyone around us is like, "You got to be kidding me!" <laughs> like it's happening again. And uh, with a minute left in the game, we had a line of Nick Schmaltz, Brock Besser. And Drake Kajula was our best line. They went out there and scored with a minute left in the game, and wow. everyone went nuts. It was a great time. They ended up winning the national championship that year uh, that I got to see. That that Very was really cool. fun. And in 2019, I was at the Game 7 uh, second-round game against Dallas, the double overtime game. Oh, really? Yeah, when I was working with the Blues, it was unbelievable. Talk about white-knuckling. And I was on the opposite end of – where the where Dallas was shooting. Yeah. So when Jamie Ben had the wraparound yeah. attempt, we had no idea. And it went off the skate. Yeah, we had no idea if that went in. Same with I, I believe it was Rope Hints. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I could be wrong. He also had the wraparound attempt before the end of regulation. We had no idea. But uh yeah, no, I That's was on the awesome. same end that Pat Maroon scored. It was it was crazy, and I just I remember going home that night and just rewatching, rewatching the call, like yeah. hearing Curbs' call, hearing uh, oh, who was on the call for that on NBC. It was uh, oh, he does the games now, Kenny Albert. Oh wow, yeah, thank yeah. you, Grant. 
Thank you. Yeah. One of the one of the one of the best hockey games. It was unbelievable. Live or otherwise. I mean that that one that one was remarkable. And I remember they had the somebody posted the reaction of Jordan Bennington when Pabaroon scored. Cool as a cucumber. And he just it like any other game, just right. like, like it was a change in the intermission. He yeah. just kinda walks and I just he just skated off. And I remember thinking to myself, I tweeted it out, I go, This is what a psychopath looks like. But I mean, in like the most yeah, in endearing a, in way. way, in the most, I, I mean that, of course, in in you know the most positive, uh, cool, unbelievable way. But that game was his performance that night, and and, and two local product Ben Bishop. I mean, yeah. what, he put on a show too. I just, oh my goodness, like that entire game was. It was probably the most nervous I've ever been as a fan. Like, yeah. I mean, the Cardinals have been in World Series. Yeah, like, yeah, they, you know, the Blues yeah. too. With the the what was it? It wasn't the year prior. I think it was two years prior. When they when did they make their run with Bacchus? That was in 2016. So you had that, and you're you know we you get but back. There, and... there really there really wasn't. Um, actually, I'll I'll take that back. There was there was a moment that year when you were like really white knuckling, and that was Game Seven of the first round when Troy Brower against scored. Winnipeg. Yeah. No, against oh, the against, Blackhawks. Uh, the Blackhawks. Yeah. That series was some of the fastest hockey I've ever seen. Like those two teams went at it in that series. And that was that was a great series because, like you said, the back and forth. But as a Blues fan, at the time you're like, is they this couldn't get is over this Chicago. happening again? Because they had yeah. a series lead, and they blew it. They mm-hmm. blew it. They blew the lead. Yep. And they had they blew the lead against uh, against the Blackhawks. Then they I faced believe, Dallas. I believe it was against. It was at uh, Chicago, or maybe maybe it wasn't. They went to overtime. Patrick Kane ended up yeah, scoring. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I remember. And yep. you're just like, this is not happening again. Yeah. And they got over the hump. It's always amazing to go back because I just remember that they couldn't. They just couldn't get past the Blackhawks. They right. Couldn't. They couldn't get the monkey off the back, and they did. And that was kind of what that was. And then they beat Dallas, and then they lose to San Jose in the Western Conference Finals. I, in my opinion, I think they beat San Jose if they close out the series against the against the Blackhawks. I feel like they let that series go up. a little too many uh, too many games. Yep. And they did the same thing against Dallas too, where they could have yes. closed that series out as well. Didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I think those few extra games ended up costing them. Man, all right, that was a that was a lot of fun. So Lauren, we get, you got 15 minutes out of us just telling stories. Great stuff. Great question. We appreciate your your question today for the big question of the day. You can always participate if you leave us a mic drop. We'll wrap things up next ahead of the Blues pregame show on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Listening today to the fast lane. If you missed anything, make sure you download the podcast brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You can do so at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 ESPN mobile app. Uh, a lot of Blues talk, a lot of Cardinals talk, a lot of NFL. Chris Kerber, Alex Ferrario, Jamie Rivers checked in from Enterprise. And I thought just a great question by Lauren today for the big question talking about the three live events that 
And Marsh, you and I kind of turned it into just kind of memorable events for us. For sure. Uh, but I thought that was a great question for the big question. It did have an honorable mention. I went to the final game ever at Bush Stadium 2 That's a in 2005 one. when the, the Astros ended up winning. And uh, someone knocked off a cup holder. I, I still have it to this day. Oh, was, really? Yeah, from That's old cool. Bush. And then uh, people would write on the walls, too. And I wrote, Cardinals are going to win. I'm like nine years old or whatever at this time. I'm like, Cardinals are going to win the World Series next year. Little did I know they actually you did. You were right. I was Look right. at you. It's awesome. All right, criticisms and compliments. Uh, from the 314, Chill Bill is the people's champion. Talking about Bill, our winner today from the gauntlet. I'm getting a little nervous. Me too. I mean, we're this is what, four straight losses? It's got to be. It's four straight losses because Patty swept us, and then Bill beat Jamie today. And Bill beat, if you if you missed it, Bill beat Jamie in hockey. Yeah, and Swan sent us, a, sent us a text saying, Jamie lost in hockey. What alternate timeline are we in? On a serious note, congrats to Mr. Bill. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried. Plus, Bill called me out for crying the yeah. last couple of couple of times that I, I got hockey. So I wonder who he takes on tomorrow. I think he takes you on. and In hockey, probably. This wheel is loaded for hockey. It really is. I don't like it. <laughs> but you like, like hockey. It. I do like hockey, but I also, you know, I like a fair ball game, Anthony. What's interesting is that we've gotten baseball once. It was the first it was the first gauntlet, gauntlet 2.0. I got chosen and I played in baseball. And the wheel has not spun baseball since that point. No, it, it hasn't. You know, why don't we just go over the records real quick? Anthony, you're two and two. Jamie's 0-3. Is he? Yeah. So he lost in hockey and in, and two football, right? Yep, he's lost in hockey wow. and uh, and two football. And two football. Sure. Yep, I'm one and one right now. Okay, so it's Jamie the one that's that's really dragging yeah. us down. I, I don't think you and I should feel too bad. No, we're at, we're at, we're at a cool 500. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're treading water. He is drowning. Jamie's on a on a losing streak. Reminds What's me the, of the, the blues from earlier this year. Maybe he'll have to flip it. What's the opposite of a heater? Um, He's just ice cold. Let's just go with that. A heater opposite. Um, a the dud? freezer. He's on the free. He's on a freezer. We'll go with yeah, it. I don't know. Maybe the tax line can help us out. They always do. Uh, from the 314. It'd be cool if, if uh, for criticisms and compliments and concerns, if you guys also chose a favorite text or funniest text of the day and read it. I, I love that idea. We've been talking about implementing that. Yeah. I think we should too. And I have one for today. Okay. And you agree because I read it off to you earlier. Was it you the, thought it was hilarious. Was yeah. it from our documentary? No, it's from the 314. In one hour, Jamie goes from juvenile radio host to buttoned-up <laughs> hockey analyst. Absolutely. Amazing. So you win You win texter of the day. If you want to put your name to it, too, that way we'll give you we – we won't read any names that uh, don't want to be read, but you win text of the day. If you listen to our interview with Jamie – at 5.15. He absolutely yeah. is already in TV mode. Sounds like he has a suit on because he does. He does. There sure. is zero like there is zero joking around. He's, to the texture's point, it's incredibly buttoned up. He goes from wild animal to Mr. TV in less than an hour. 
It must happen on that drive down to uh, Enterprise Center. Appreciate everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Fast Lane today. We'll be back from 2 to 6 tomorrow. you got Blues hockey tonight. Pre-game right now. Blues, Predators, Alex Ferrario will take over. For Andrew Marsh and Jamie Rivers, I'm Anthony Stalter. Again, we'll be back tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Blues, Preds, next. See you. You've been listening to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.